you've been doing action movies for so long, and obviously you're in amazing shape, but it must be getting harder to do the action roles. Uh, you're interested in branching out a little bit now? No, I, Maybe I, doing less action or some action, some other type of film? I think you're talking about just a kicking punch. Yeah. The way like you, I can still like, and I, I, another 10 years, oh but of course. Why, oh. why Jackie, why do you go out of your way to put me down? I, I've worked, uh, I am, you have no idea how good I am in a fight. Okay. okay. You're talking about jump, jump, uh, jump with the car, roll over, yeah. roll over on the table, you know, kick, I still can't do it. Right. But jump off, no, it's, it's tough now. What kind of role would you like to be doing that you wish you were offered more of? I willing to do anything, everything. Of course, slow motion, the bitch, hawking uh, with the girl, kissing, of good. <laughs> no, nobody hire me. No one hires you for? No, no the, director. Wait, you want to do romance? You want to do yes. romantic movies? Roma romance, romantic, anything. Yeah, I, yeah. Think, I think you'd be very good in a romantic role. I don't know, you should be offered that role. Too old now. What's that? Too, like you, too old. <laughs> Jackie, why did you lump me in if, with you? I'm I, myself with too old. Yeah. We, we both, yeah. No! Okay. I am just the right age to play a young, handsome, leading man. Welcome back to a brand new episode of Not A Bomb Podcast. This is the podcast where we go back and talk about movies that bomb theatrically or maybe the critics didn't like. Brad, technically, right now, we should be talking about two Guy Ritchie films that bombed in 2023. But something really, really cool came up. And so I think the football term is we called an audible. Is that correct? Yeah, the quarterback calls an audible, yes. Okay, so we did the audible thing um, because we could not pass up this opportunity do you want to do our formal introductions for a very very special guest um that we have joining us today yes tonight we have brandon bentley brandon thank you for joining us uh please tell everyone all about yourself i thought you said you had a special guest i'm just <laughs> <laughs> no thank you very much i'm very very flattered um yeah the, the short version is for for those who may or may not know me i kind of just uh maybe i'm underselling myself, but I kind of stumbled into this about a decade ago. I, I've been a Hong Kong film fan for as far back as I can remember. I mean, I, like many others, I started with the Bruce Lee films. And funny enough, that's kind of how I got my start working on Blu-rays. I started with Shao Factory back in 2013, came back to them in 2016, 2017. And then suddenly around like 2019 or so, I got yanked into all of the uh, UK titles and I started bouncing back and forth between UK companies, US companies. So I did a lot with, you know, Arrow, Eureka, 88, and then on this side of the pond, you know, Kino, Criterion, a little more Shout Factory. Um, so yeah, it's been a just bit of a whirlwind. Just name dropping all over the place. I love it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just kind of nuts, you know, get an email like, hey, we, we saw some of the work you did on this title or that title. And I kind of just go, 
oh yeah, I, I I'll, I'll see what I can do, you know. And I think some people online go are like, oh, he thinks he's this big expert. I'm like, I'm just a glorified fanboy who's gotten a little lucky. So that's the best way I can put oh, it. Oh no no um, no! You you so are <laughs> my my favorite title um, that I've seen. I love this. Like this this is you should get a business card for this. Um, <laughs> but I I I would categorize you as an action film historian. Like that. Oh yeah. yeah. I love that. I, I think that was I, in the linear notes or something for iron fisted monk that just came out. I think so because I've had a couple different titles over the years. I, I think the, I know action film historian has popped up a couple times because there's been some non Hong Kong films that I've worked on. Like some might've been Hong Kong related, like hard target. Right. But then you have something like the keynote releases of, uh, like ghost warrior and heat with, uh, Burt Reynolds. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that those are obviously are not Asian films or Hong Kong films, but you know they're they're action films. Well, Ghost Warrior to an extent is an action film. Um, that's neither here nor there. Uh, so like every release, it's like the title gets a little different from time to time, and it's like a, I'm an historian. It's like no, I'm I'm a guy who has a just a movie collection, but <laughs> historian just sounds a lot better, especially if you sneak onto the Criterion collection. Uh, oh yeah. So, uh, so but uh, but yeah. Your main function is kind of adding some commentary tracks to to Blu-rays and stuff. Is that kind of how people might know your voice? That's how they'll know my voice, although I kind of lurk in the uh, proverbial shadows on a lot of Blu-ray releases. There's been a lot of stuff I've worked on where you probably wouldn't even know I worked on it until you went to, like, the special thanks section of a booklet. Where it's like, oh, I didn't know Brandon worked on this, you know, like... Sometimes I'll bend over backwards like I did with Eris Bruce Lee set, and then suddenly I'll just, for one other movie, do nothing but, like, reconstruct trailers or something. You know, there are some where it's like, well, I know I can do a lot for this movie or for this one. It's like, well, this movie only has trailers available in standard definition, so let me try to, like, tweak them so they look a bit better or something like that. Or, like, all the above. So there's been a lot of stuff I've worked on where it's like, let me see if I can do columns a through f for this movie and then this one oh i can only do something for my column c because there's been some where th- there's one thing coming out next year where i actually just got asked this past week if i could do some commentaries on the set and not gonna say what it is but i thought to myself well i feel like there's better qualified people for this thing like i'm a fan but i feel like i would be doing people disservice if i took an opportunity away from others who would know much better about this thing and there have been times where i've given like you know, the good old college try on something. And, you know, some people like it, some people don't. There's one film I did a commentary for that people seemed okay with. And one person kind of just ripped me apart because I got like six things wrong in the commentary. I'm not going to say what the movie was, not going to say who the other person was because they also do commentaries now. Um, but it's like, you know what? I'm just going to say it back. You know, it's it's like when you see that thing on screen saying, hey, these are for entertainment purposes only. Uh, and I try to be as accurate as I can, especially when I do a solo commentary, because there's a lot more pressure on you. Because it's like it's like when you're on stage and you do a scene with one person or a group of people versus when you're doing a monologue. When yeah. you're doing a monologue, there's a lot more pressure on you. Same thing when you're doing a solo commentary versus... You know, when I did commentaries with either, you know, Mike Leader or Kung Fu Bob, you know, there's a nice little banter back and forth while still trying to catch things on screen at the same time. When I do a solo commentary, I essentially am doing either a very detailed bullet point list or sometimes almost like a script. And I try my best to like double and triple and quadruple check things. But every once in a while, you, you know, get the wrong source to check something that later on you realize, oh, I got this thing wrong. Even when I did my uh, my second Big Boss commentary, the one in the Arrow set. 
I corrected myself on my older one, where it's like, well, I found this source before that said this thing, but I found it later it was wrong, so let me fix that thing. So there's a lot of times where I'll also try to say things like, as far as I know, from what I've heard, apparently, allegedly, you know, things like that to kind of let people know, hey, I could be wrong about this thing, but I do my best to be as accurate as possible. So there are some parts like, oh, I, I would love to do this. Young Master, Big Boss, you know, films like that. And then there are times where I just run out of time, like I would have loved to have done writing wrongs, didn't get the chance there. And then there's some, once again, where I'm a fan, but it's like, mm, there's people who would probably be better suited for this. So I'll just take a step back and let somebody else jump in for those. So uh, one other thing I like to do are tangents. So I apologize. In advance. No, I, 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 I love your commentaries. I, I think it's interesting. I mean, you're a filmmaker, too. Um, <laughs> I mean, you've, you've participated in like the 48 hour film project, um, yes. at the AFI, <laughs> no you, pressure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, th those are, that's crazy. I, I would love to just spend the time like understanding how that even works. Um, and how you, you get into doing the script, the filming and everything else and doing it within that time frame. It, it just sounds so you need a team. Maddening. You need a really locked down team. Like we've learned over the years, like what works and what doesn't, um, not to say that like, oh, you know, we're just getting better every year because there are times where you can have some hiccups. But even, you know, I want to say like 10 years ago, I think is when I first heard about the 48 hour film project. And I right. thought the exact same thing. How in the hell can you do something like that in 48 hours? But once you get into the thick of it and you realize that you have like an assembly line of people to get from point A to point B, like, OK, it's still stressful, but it can be done. You're not like doing a feature film or a 20 minute film, you're typically doing like between six to eight minutes. Yeah. Um, you have a writer who can knock something out by the end of Friday night. And then usually I'm the director. So I usually go over the shot list or create a shot list. Usually like after midnight, Friday night, then we're up Saturday morning and then we just spend all day that day filming. And then, so Saturday night, someone else then takes that footage and starts editing. And then by Sunday, if there's a like quickie pickup filming we need to do, uh, we'll, do that real quick and then just drop it into the edit. Then I'll come back in, see what we have for the actual edit. Then I'll do some tightening up here and there. And then we need to, you know, get it out the door by like seven, seven thirty PM. Um, so yeah, it's, it's stressful, but it can be done. It's one of those things where it's like, you don't realize it can be done until you're like in the thick of it. Right. Um, and we've had some years where it's like, this felt too easy. And then those are the ones where we get less nominations and the ones where we're like pulling our hair out by the end. Those are the ones where we get the most nominations. So I, I forgot who it was who said it. it might have been Sylvester Stallone, actually, where it's like if a movie production goes by too easily, you're not doing it right or uh, something like that. Okay. Like it goes way too smoothly. Like you don't want to be difficult the whole time either because you've had bad movies come out of that, too. Right. You've had bad movies come out of something too easy and too difficult. You want like that nice, meaty complicated but rewarding sort of atmosphere and that's kind of what we had in the past now i i've been a bit of a pain because funny enough tonight i was doing some photography for a local theater and the person that i normally collaborate on with that she's actually one of the producers of the uh, 48 hour film projects and while i doubt she's watching right now hi amy uh, <laughs> or listening excuse me uh but uh, but yeah no she's she's great at like getting the whole assembly line together and we've knocked out a bunch i'm trying to get them to do a non 48 hour uh, film project at some point only because it's like, we've done this so many times. Why don't we do an actual film project where we're not limited by all the parameters? Cause that's the other thing about 48. They need proof that you did it in 48 hours. Right. So they give you like character names, props, um, genre, uh, all these different things. Like these are your elements to prove that you didn't like sit on a short film for months and then suddenly just toss it into 48. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, like I said, it's one of those things where it's like until you, dive into it and usually the first time you try to do it it's going to be clunky 
but you're still going to see ones that are far worse and you're going to see some that are far better. Like you get a whole spectrum. It's, it's very educating when you actually get to see everyone else's projects and you'll sit there and, you know, you'll cringe at some, you'll be jealous of others. And, you know, you kind of just take a little bit that you're watching and then put it into your, your next short. Yeah. So. It's, it, it is super unique. I, I love when they do it. So <laughs> I'm going to geek out a little bit. I, yeah. I came across your name and I hope I get this right. So I think from a commentary perspective, a lot of Brandon people says you're supposed to say allegedly first. Oh, allegedly. <laughs> so I, I think most people would have come across your name in the beginning through the criterion set uh, for the, the Bruce Lee. But I, and I hope I get this right. I had heard, I think that commentary from a shout factory release, not the initial one, but they had done a, a re-release with the individual. So they, yep. they did a box set. Then they came back and said, we're going to do it. And and that's where I first saw your name. Yeah. So, so yeah, it, it's funny. I, I've, I've told people that I, I did the first Big Boss commentary for the Shout Factory re-release because that's where it gets confusing because it was the second Shout Factory release that had my first incarnation of the Big Boss commentary. Right. And so what happened was. I had done the initial set for the 2013 box set, uh, which had its own hiccups in there. The biggest, of course, was that they somehow got saddled with upscaled masters of the films, mm -hmm. which, to be fair, even back then, Game of Death, no matter which master it was, it was always upscaled until the La Machine Retrovada restorations. And, but Big Ball's Fist Free Way the Dragon should have been true HD. In fact, I already had the Hong Kong Blu-ray from Cam and Ronson that was true HD. Um, colors were a little, eh, but it was still HD. So when I first saw the screeners of those Shout Factory Blu-rays, I almost had a panic attack. I'm like, guys, I don't know what happened. Fortress Star gave you the wrong masters. And so there was like that whole hiccup there. But once again, that's a tangent for another time. Right. So then cut to 2016. And by this point, I had known that there were new 4k restorations being worked on they were starting to creep out in hong kong once again through cam and ronson and then shout said hey we actually still technically have the rights to these movies and while we still have them for like another year or so i you know we, we want to do solo releases of the four films you know would you be on board to do anything with these i'm like oh yeah sure and so i was mainly just trying to tweak a couple things and then just on a whim just throwing it out there assuming i was going to hear no i just asked hey can I do a commentary for the big boss? Cause that was like sort of a bucket list thing. Mm -hmm. And if people didn't like it, then okay, one and done. Cool. So I did that one. And a few people heard it. And a few people enjoyed it. You know, it got some decent marks in the Blu-ray reviews here and there. And that was about it. And then, you know, years later, like I said, I started getting to the UK releases. And I think before Criterion to the Bruce Lee release, I ended up doing the commentary for the 88 films version of hero shed no tears yes which was such a left field thing for me because honestly i hadn't seen that movie in almost 20 years but i just felt like this weird pull to do the commentary when they asked me i'm just like sure i'll, I'll give it a Man, shot like i've 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 listened to that comment when i first heard i thought <laughs> i thought you watched that movie daily um <laughs> <laughs> it's it's so good i here's the thing like um Ricky Baker, I think you already mentioned Mike Leader, Kung Fu Bob, yep. uh, Frank Jen. I mean, these yeah. are guys that I, as soon as I see their name, I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Yeah. You've created, and I, I didn't even know you did stuff outside of commentary. I think it was until writing wrongs and 88 was doing this really kind of wacky version of the release because writing wrongs had all these different endings. And you came in as an editor and did a randomizer um, on the Blu-ray, right? Yeah, so the funny thing with that was, uh, I think 
even the the first inkling of this being a possibility was when I was working on Eureka's Blu-ray of um, Millionaire's Express. Yeah. Uh, it was through um, Iron God, who you'll see his name in almost like every Hong Kong release in the US and UK at this point. He was one suggesting to me, it's like, hey, do you think we can do a hybrid cut of Millionaire's Express? I'm like, I think so. I don't think there's like any alternate footage per se. I think like continuity-wise, you can still combine everything together and it would still work. So that was the first time that we thought, hey, this could actually be a thing. And then on the 88 film side, I knew that they were working with Fidelity in Motion, more specifically Dave McKenzie, who was sort of just like a pioneer of branching alternate cuts of movies. And I've actually seen the files used to actually create the different cuts. Like it's not like these huge chunks here and there. Like there's these small files peppered throughout that yeah. jump back and forth. And it's truly seamless. It's called seamless branching, but it's as seamless as you can get. And so I thought, all right, since Writing Wrongs does have alternate footage, could we conceivably do not only a hybrid cut, but then have different endings? But on top of that, one thing that was kind of nagging me was the fact that, okay, well, once you see what happens to Cynthia Rothrock's character, you know what's going to happen to Young Bu's character. It's like either they both live or they both die. That's it. Mm -hmm. So I thought, can I re-edit the endings so that only one survives and the other one dies? Because I want to do the, the ending randomizer, but it's like, well, it's only two endings. It's not like Clue the movie where you had three, right. which, by the way, Clue the movie was my inspiration since they actually were like one of the first ones to do an ending randomizer. Um, and in fact, I think even the new Shout Factory 4K still does that. Yeah. So I think the DVD, Blu-ray, and 4K all do that. But yeah, that was my inspiration for that. As like, can we do this? And I was waiting to just get SWAT down. But then I'm like, you know what? Let's try it. And so, you know, I create the two new endings. I did, you know, pile together this hybrid cut of everything prior to it. Because prior to the endings, you can still put all the scenes together and nothing, for the most part, really contradicts with each other. Um, so, like, once I did the initial hybrid cut prior to the first alternate footage from the ending, that was all just, like, one giant chunk that I sent over. And then I had the four different endings for them to work with. Uh, and then once again, Dave McKenzie just took, like, what could be shared and what couldn't, you know, cut up a bunch of different files and then just made it work. And then when I got the first, like, screener files to play back on my Blu-ray player, uh, I was just testing out every ending to make sure it all worked and went through. The only thing that kind of bugged me at the end of the day was the fact that after all that work, that was one time where I didn't get credited. I'm like, oh, yeah, but, okay. I, but people had <laughs> talked about it and your name had come up and I don't yeah. know if it was in forms or something. Uh, it, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of a pilot error on 88s and I, I know they're very apologetic after that happened. Um, but I, I think I'm still like in the special thanks or something like yeah. that because I still worked on the audio. It might have just been like audio sync that they credited me for because I did the audio. I reconstructed, I think it was the export trailer. I think that was the only one I did. I can't remember. Um, and yeah, basically just trying to make sure we had like everything we needed for all the different cuts. Um, and then of course I did the actual trailer for 80 films too, where I went like full eighties trailer voiceover guy, you know, for said trailer for the, for the hell of it. Um, you know, like really hammed it up, but, uh, but yeah, like when I got that, I saw it wasn't credited for the hybrid cut. I'm like, ah, that, okay. That's it's, it's that, so that cool. That stings a bit. <laughs> it, 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 it is, it is one of the cool things that, that 88 has done. Now, the, <laughs> what made me start emailing you and bugging you because we're we're friends on social media was yeah. um this year arrow had put out new fist of fury mm -hmm. and um you did two things well you did multiple things on this but the the things that stood out 
was um, New Fist of Fury is sort of infamous uh, for having a 1980 cut. Yes. Um, and then also, I mean, it's uh, it. There's two sequels that came out of the same time, right? So, mm-hmm. you you do a special kind of comparing those two as well. The the Jackie Chan version versus um, the Bruce Lai version, I think. Yeah. So the funny thing with that was uh, when I was working on the the Bruce Lee set in the UK, uh, James Flower, who spearheaded this whole thing, uh, we were talking about potentially doing this video essay talking about the fact that there were these two unofficial sequels uh, to Fist of Fury. And he said, here's what we're going to do is we're going to put it in the UK uh, Bruce Lee set, but then we're also going to put it on the US new Fist of Fury solo release. I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. And so I had to basically kind of do this deep dive back into Fist of Fury part two, because new Fist of Fury I had seen more recently, you know, because I was already working on the 88 films verse a couple years back. Mm-hmm. In fact, you know, I originally had done the uh, commentary for the, the original 76 cut with Kung Fu Bob. Yep. And then for the era release, I was going to do the shortcut um, solo in that case for a couple of reasons. One, I'd already done the longer cut with Kung Fu Bob. And I knew that Frank Jang and Michael Worth, who's considered to be like the, the walking encyclopedia of Bruceploitation. It's like, all right, they have a lock on the longer cut. So I'm going to step back since A, I already done it. B, they're doing that one. I'll just do the shortcut. So I already had like all the ins and outs of New Fist of Fury, but Fist of Fury Part 2, I kind of had to do more of a deep dive back into to get more reacquainted with it, even though it was one of the first, if possibly not the first Bruceploitation film I had ever seen as a kid. Um, because I originally, there, there's a place... It used to be around in Bowie, Maryland called Metro Video. I think I've actually mentioned this in a couple of commentaries that had just like a slew of martial arts films on VHS that, you know, Blockbuster, of course, will only have like a fraction of. But it was like this whole aisle at Metro Video. They had like all the big box, all season entertainment Jackie Chan films, uh-huh. including New Fist of Fury. Uh, that's actually how I first saw Fearless Hyena, which I want to say was my first Jackie Chan film. But they had Fist of Fury Part 2. In this big clamshell box from Transworld Entertainment, where it was called Chinese Connection 2, which honestly made more sense in the U.S. at the time, despite the fact that Fist of Fury Part 2 was released theatrically in the U.S. as Fist of Fury Part 2. Mm-hmm. Like, 21st Century Distribution just had no idea, apparently. Like, this is not a sequel to Fists of Fury. It's not a sequel to The Big Boss. It's a sequel to Fist of Fury, Chinese Connection. But they didn't call it Chinese Connection Part 2 or Chinese Connection 2. They just called it Fist of Fury Part 2. But as a kid, you know, they kind of they kind of wised up at the VHS era. It's like, we'll call it Chinese Connection 2. And even like when the DVD first came out from, I think it might have been Platinum Entertainment, one of those public domain companies. They also called it Chinese Connection 2 because, once again, these companies were smart enough to realize, oh, this is actually a sequel to Chinese Connection. And, and that is, so I, you you are listing all these editions. I own them. They're, they're terrible, <laughs> Same. terrible transfers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, all, all VHS transfers. In fact, yeah. I think the Platinum... I love that the company is called Platinum or Platinum Edition or Platinum Entertainment. Yeah. It's like they were not Platinum. Nope. Um, all these non-anamorphic widescreen masters, if they were widescreen, uh, sometimes taken from VHS copies. I'm 99% certain that the Chinese Connection 2 DVD was taken from the UK DVD, which cut out all the nunchuck sequences. So that was fun. Uh, but thankfully, the original big box tape, which I still have somewhere, uh, was the original uncut version of Fist of Fury Part 2. Granted, full screen, as yep. was the trend at the time in the eighties uh, on, on VHS. But yeah, so I had to kind of do a deep dive back into that. You know, it was definitely more of a Taiwanese production, but funny enough, new fist of fury. The funny thing about the low A produced films is that a lot of them were shot in either Taiwan or South Korea, even though they were Hong Kong productions technically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but fist of fury part two, I want to say was like 
sort of like a little more 50-50. Someone listening is going to be like, oh, he's getting it wrong. But it definitely had like more of a foot in the Taiwanese door than even the low-A films did. And that's why I thought it was so funny when watching both of them back-to-back again. It's like some of these locations look similar. In fact, then you realize there's that one that's used as the new Jing Wu school and new Fist of Fury that was used also in Fist of Fury Part 2. So it's definitely a lot of like elbow rubbing between the two films and it's funny when you talk to people about both movies like which ones they prefer it's like new fist of fury i feel like has become the one that more people recognize only because of jackie star power but i feel like more fans probably have a little more respect for fist of fury part two just because it honestly works better as a sequel the pacing's better the fights are better um it's still a Bruce Blatation movie at the end of the day, but the thing I liked about Ho Chung Tao, Bruce Lai, is the fact that you could tell, like, the further you get into his filmography, the more he was trying to develop his own personality, where it's like, hey, I could play Bruce Lee's brother, cousin, what have you, but still have enough of my own personality. And, you know, a lot of the, the little fake Bruce Lee yells came from the dubbers more so than Ho Chung Tao himself. Yeah. Um, and that's why, you know, he kind of gives off more of his own persona on screen. He's not quite as exaggerated with his mannerisms as like um huang kinlong you know bruce le or you know especially dragon lee and i think like dragon lee is like higher on that level like when you come to like how much they do the bruce lee mannerisms you have bruce lai bruce le dragon lee like in that ranking in my opinion but yeah so it's kind of fun to dive back in and just coming up with the title i almost called it uh what was the original title i had it was very convoluted it was like one fist two fist it, like yeah. I was going for like one fish, two fish, red fish, new fist, fish. part two fist. <laughs> yeah. So that's why I ended up calling it. And a lot of people were like, what the yeah. hell is up with that title? It's like, it was supposed to be a, a joke that didn't quite land. So it's like, yeah, it, it's fine. It, it's whatever. New fist, part two fist. It, it's, it's kind of there. And some people got the joke. Some people were like, it sounds like Dr. Seuss. Like, yes, that's not a great joke, but you got it. <laughs> it's well, it's, it's funny. Cause, um, there's this, I call it the Brandon effect. Uh, I, I may own it four or five times, but if I see you're doing a commentary on it, I'm like, well, crap, I got to buy that damn thing again. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and <laughs> here's, here's an, here's a testament to it. So new fist of fury, that 80 cut, I mean, new fist of fury is not a great film, but no. <laughs> that 80 cut is a little interesting. Yes. But I'm, I'm sitting there and I, I'm listening to it and I feel like I'm talking to you because you start, you know, talking about, well, why is there a 1980 version? Oh, well, the way at this time is saying, Oh, Jackie's famous. We need a Cantonese cut out there. I'm like, Oh yeah. Then you, you do something where you mention the Japanese laser discs that came out about that time. I'm like, Oh my God, somebody knows about those. Um, and I think somewhere behind me. <laughs> yeah. I, I've got them sitting over there. Uh, nice. I'm, I'm pointing. Nobody can see what, <laughs> but, and your commentaries are, it just feels like you're sitting next to somebody and you're just talking about the film. And, and like you said, I try. <laughs> it, it is, it is very much film history, but it's very conversational. And I mean, the yeah. fact that you, even in that commentary squeeze in like a Donnie and Highlander reference, I mean, you're, <laughs> I love I was a little harsh on that Highlander Endgame's fun in a very guilty way. Uh, and at least it's not rehashy like the final dimension, although yeah. final dimension did give us Bonnie Portmore in the Highlander universe. So there's that. Yeah. So. I, I just love that. I mean, I, I'm, I'm such a fanboy of all of your commentaries. Thank uh, you. I, I think, I think you're on the Mount Rushmore of them. Um, they're so entertaining, <laughs> but we, we got to do something real quick. So anytime we get yeah, somebody on the yeah. show, um, we try and do this exercise where we ask you a few questions to, to just sort of get a feel for what kind of movies you like, where you land on certain things. So I'm going to start with the first question. Okay. Okay. So what is your favorite film from your least favorite genre? 
Well, that's the thing. I don't know what my least favorite genre is. That, that's the tricky part. Like, now I'm curious. Like, what, what is yours? I got to help uh, gauge that. Like, what, what is your least favorite genre? Well, obviously, my favorite genre is, you know, people getting kicked in the face. So the opposite <laughs> of that would be smoochy films, right? So um, the, the romantic comedies, they're, they're okay. They're just, okay. they're not my forte. So I, I would always kind of gravitate well. Um, it, it has some problematic stuff to it, but I always gravitate to like, say anything. I love that film. Gotcha. Um, okay. or, I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, well, the funny thing is romantic comedies. If that's probably where I would land as well, uh, with least favorite, cause like, like comedy in general, it's like, I don't really have a genre that I don't like, but there are sub genres where you're like, mm. and romantic comedies. I, I feel like the trickiest thing with them is that they're very formulaic. Yep. So I'm definitely like on that same page with you. But that being said, I don't know how many people would consider Groundhog Day to be a romantic comedy. Oh, okay. Because like it does kind of fall into that category. So I feel like if that were the case, I would definitely say Groundhog Day because like well, it kind of hinges it. on yeah. him. Yeah. yeah, it kind of hinges on like the whole romantic aspect for him to get out of the loop if you think about it. And it's very much a comedy. So that might be a bit of a stretch, but I would have to go with Groundhog Day in that aspect. We love it. <laughs> love that answer. That's awesome. All right, Brad, you got the next one. All right. Ironically enough, we've already talked about this and we did not tell you the questions beforehand, but who is your favorite Bruce Lee clone? Definitely got to go with Bruce Lee. Ho oh, Tao. okay. Perfect. Perfect answer. I love <laughs> like, Dynamo. Like I said, Dynamo is one well, of my favorites. Yeah, oh yeah. Yeah. I, I got the Blu-ray of that one too. So uh, that's the thing though. It's like, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like with him, like when he was first getting into it, he, you know, very much was kind of like forced into the whole like, hey, make sure you get all the mannerisms right, do this, that, and the other. But then like as the filmography goes on, he's finding a way to kind of meld the two together, like get some of his own personality in there with Bruce's as well. And, you know, there have been some interviews over the years. I still really want to see Enter the Clones of Bruce Lee, which hasn't quite had a wide release yet. I'm still, if AFI can get that, that'd be great. I'd love to see that on the big screen. But yeah. I know Severin is eventually going to put it out on disc. I just I have no idea when. But... um but no, I remember his old interviews with, I think it was for Cinema of Vengeance, where he admits that he really wasn't enjoying, you know, being Bruce Lee or trying to impersonate, like, the the brother, the, you know, the cousin, what have you, of Bruce Lee. But I think it was that kind of uniqueness to him that kind of drew me in. And I, I, if I also have to pick my favorite of his filmography... I would probably go with um, what is best known in the West as Soul Brothers of Kung Fu. Oh, oh um, yeah, that's that's a good one. <laughs> it's it's a brutal one. It's very much I would say like that was uh, his big boss in my opinion. Yeah. Like Kufong Kufong is very is essentially the big boss in that movie. Um, and I actually have the uh, the bootleg uh, Spanish Blu-ray of that one, but I'm hoping someone M Michael Worth, if you're listening, and if you have the film elements. <laughs> Give us that one on Blu-ray, please. Um, you know, speaking of alternate endings that are drastically different, um, that that's another one I've seen like multiple versions of over the years. You know, some were censored for violence, some you know had different endings. Mm -hmm. um, weirdly enough, the French version actually had alternate footage whenever there was any nudity. Like they actually <laughs> really? reshot scenes okay. with the actress like wearing extra stuff for those scenes. I'm like, they had, they had the budget to shoot alternate footage. Okay, cool. Um, so I, I love when yeah. releases have those alternate cuts on them. Um, but yeah, definitely Bruce Lai, Po Chung Tao. I, I have a lot of respect for him. And, um, and yeah, no, he, he's just like the most firm for me to pop on, you know, Exit the Dragon, Air of the Tiger, Fist Fury Part 2, a lot of great ones out there. And like you mentioned, Dynamo, uh, Chinese Stuntman, that one, I feel like he, he put a lot of, of himself into that one. I feel yeah. 
like a lot of his like jaded cynicism towards filmmaking at that point. You could definitely feel and that it's movie. and it's good. It's just so yeah. good. I mean, oh yeah. It's so yeah, got Dan Santo, John Wadowski. Yeah. That was a lot of fun. I need to watch it again. It's been a while, but it's it's a fun one. Do you, do you have a favorite Brad? Bruce Lee clone? Uh Bruce Lai. I, I think universally, I think that was number one probably for most people. Right? Okay. Well, I, I don't know. I mean it's it <laughs> I, I think you already said it, Brandon, like that the whole Bruce exploitation and the clone I mean, it's such a fascinating subgenre. Oh yeah. And so many people are tackling it. They're they're you know there's so many great books on it too. And articles. Yeah. Um, I think um, it, it, you can't go wrong. In my opinion, you can't go wrong with any of them. If you have a, yeah. if you have a favorite, yeah. because they're, they're, they're all fun. just so unique. They're fun. Yeah. yeah. They're a lot of fun. Like you need to be in the right mindset for them. Like what was so funny is like the reason why these films were made to begin with was like, Oh, we need another Bruce Lee, not someone to kind of just fill that void in their own way. No, we just need to like literally find a clone of Bruce Lee <laughs> Which, of course, led to the film, The Clones of Bruce Lee. So, And that's why it's so unique, because I can't really think of many other actors who have kind of, like, fallen into that. Like, here in the U.S., we didn't have, you know, exploitation with James Dean after he passed away, because, you know, a lot of people make that comparison. He was so famous, but had such a small filmography, and then that was that. Mm-hmm. Like, there really wasn't that thing here in the U.S., but, you know, in Hong Kong and, you know, Taiwan... There was more like, you know what, let's see if we can fool the Westerners, because that's the thing. I feel like a lot of these films got a lot more eyes on them in Western territories than they did in Hong Kong and Taiwan and such. That's why it seems like it's so difficult to find these films not just dubbed in Western languages. Like, yeah, you can find English and German and French and Spanish dubs of all these exploitation films. Trying to find a Mandarin or a Cantonese track for them is... Oh boy, it's like needle in a haystack. Yeah, it was an it's, export product for them, right? They they knew exactly yeah. what they were doing. You know, oh, yeah. they film it, shoot it. Like my my mother, I, I remember my dad told me the story, like when they were first dating, they were at a video store, and my mother saw a cover of one of those films. It was probably Bruce Lee Fights Back from the Grave, which ironically enough wasn't even a Bruce Plantation movie to begin with. And it doesn't even have the actual star of the movie on the poster. It's Dragon Lee's image, even though it's Jin Chong as the lead. Mm-hmm. And my mother's like, oh, there's that guy you like. And my dad's like, that's not him. <laughs> not so, him. yeah, it was, it was that sort of mindset that was trying to, like, trick people to seeing these movies. And so, you know, they still made money, you know, even if they didn't really make them that much in, you know, Asian territories. It was the Western territories that just ate them up. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, I got the third question. Um, I'm really curious where you're going to land on this. So. Okay. Who is your favorite martial arts choreographer? There's a long list to choose from. (laughs) (laughs) You're not wrong because I feel like any answer I give could either be correct or wrong. Because, you know, I don't want to go down the easy answer of saying, oh, Yun Wu-Ping. Because, you know, everyone can just say Yun Wu-Ping. Or, you know, Corey Yin is kind of up there as well. And then... Because, you know, he was behind, like, all of Jet Li's, you know, greatest hits, in my opinion. No pun intended. Um, I don't know. It's... ah, I didn't study for this test. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You know, Samuel, obviously, is another, like, heavy hitter. Uh, Um, That's always my pick. I love Samuel. I might might actually go with Samuel because he was good at finding a, a middle ground. I feel like when it came to someone being the successor to Bruce Lee's choreography, Samuel was there, but an even heavier hitter. And he didn't always go for like the more over the top choreography. 
Like Samuel came across more as the type who would use wires to emphasize getting hit rather than trying to give the hit. Yes. Like I remember in high school, I said something along the lines of he was more a choreographer who'd use wires to pull you horizontally rather than vertically. Yep. So or both, you know, at the same time to send you flying. You feel that so impact. I might, I I might mean, actually go every with Samuel. Oh, I love <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. So that is the greatest answer. I'm, you don't know how happy I am because I debate this with everybody. <laughs> it's it's Samuel Hung all the time. Because there's a lot, like you said, there's a long list, a lot of great choreographers. They all give something different to the table and you know with you Yun Ping, you really have to say the Yun clan because you know there's a lot of names in that family you yeah know, it's definitely like a, a kung fu dynasty basically um but yeah samo samo was definitely someone who knew how to get the most out of people and a lot of people i've seen online for years said that it was his choreography in jackie's films that made jackie look the best yes 100 you know, percent like, his two fights with Benny the Jitterkitas are considered to be like two of Jackie's best fight scenes, both choreographed with Sam out with, ironically enough, assistance from, you know, Corey Yun and, you know, many others as well. But Sam at the helm regardless. So, oh, love it. Love it. All right, Brad, <laughs> what's next? Uh, what is the first movie you remember seeing in the theater? Just in general. Yeah. Yes. It's funny. I'm trying. I I thought about this because I feel like it was probably somewhere in '89, maybe '88. I'm trying to remember. Uh, I feel like we have to look up release dates now because it's probably somewhere around like Batman '89, Kickboxer with Van Dam, Lethal Weapon Two. <laughs> um, the, the the advantage of the R rating is as long as you're with your parents or uh, oh, adult good. guardian, you're fine. Yeah. Uh, and they train you as to like what's make believe and not. Um, so it's somewhere around there. I can't remember for sure, but I was probably like three years old when I was taken in my first movies. I can like vaguely, vaguely remember. So it might have been one of those, but I can't pin down exactly. I have to look at the release dates. I can't remember if Cyborg was one that we went to as well. Maybe I can't remember. Oh, wow. So because I know. My dad went to see Bloodsport and I was being babysat. So I didn't see Bloodsport. So it's definitely not that. But it could have been, it was probably Kickboxer, Batman, or Lethal Weapon 2. It's somewhere in like the 89 vicinity. Of course, after this, I'll go, oh, no, wait, I forgot about this movie. But it was, it was probably, probably one of those. <laughs> not far off, apparently. Yeah. It, it was a Tim Burton directed Michael Keaton movie. <laughs> Love it. All right. You, you've got our last formal question, Brad. Yes. Uh, what is your favorite movie bomb that you would recommend? Oh man. Cause the thing is we're in that age where we're realizing that some of these classics were box office bombs. Yep. You know, it's, it's so easy to say Blade Runner or the thing or something like that, because those are like box office bombs that are now critical darlings. Um, yeah, they've definitely made their money back. Um, Probably yeah, off probably exactly. off the three of us as many times. Yeah, I've, we got, the, I've them got the over. evidence to show. <laughs> yeah. I, I do have the Shout Factory Steelbook and the Universal 4K of the thing. And <laughs> and, and hopefully I, I'm gonna laugh if Shout and Arrow do their own respective 4Ks in the future. I, I don't know for sure, so don't quote me on that, even though I've worked with both of them. Yeah. I, I can't say for sure, but that, that could be a thing, I wouldn't be surprised. Um oh my god. Uh see I I'm trying to think of like a more obscure title, but I'm kind of blinking at the moment. Um I'm, I am curious to like kind of throw it back to you to kind of like jog the uh, the hamster on the wheel in my head. What will be the two that you would pick or the, the both you would pick? Well, one uh, I'll start one film we actually discovered uh, off of a reference um, or referral from one of our friends and, and we reviewed it on the show. And um, it, it's a movie I'll send to people when I'll ask, have you seen this? So like, don't even know what that thing is. And it's Brigsby Bear. So... Um, it is absolutely fantastic. It's a Lonely Island film. 
Um, and it will totally throw you for a loop because, um, it's, uh, Kyle Mooney is the central character and it's just about a kid who had been kidnapped and raised in a, uh, like a nuclear shelter by Mark Hamill. Um, and they finally, uh, the police like find him as a teenager, release him. And it's him getting integrated back into like a foster family. But he grew up learning everything about the world from a television show that these parents made on VHS called Brigsby Bear. It oh, is okay. the craziest setup, but it is um, it's it's just an amazing film. But it's one that nice. somebody when we did the show, somebody recommended it. We're like, never heard of it, but let's watch it. And Brad and I were both like, oh my gosh, that goes into the pantheon of uh, movie bombs that we just didn't know about. <laughs> yeah, and I would probably one that we've championed as well as love and monsters. Yes. Okay. Such a good sci-fi action film. Yep. Oh man, this really, this is the toughest one so far. <laughs> Cause I'm trying to think of something. Maybe I've, I've become like too mainstream with my selections now. Um, Cause I'm trying to like harken back to my film school days where I wouldn't say we were watching bombs, but we were definitely watching things more off the beaten path. The underseen and, stuff. Right. Yeah, exactly. So like things that might've made their money back at best. Um, but also because the budgets were so low to begin with. Mm-hmm. Um, oh man, I'm trying to think of like a not mainstream answer. Like I said, like I don't want to say Blade Runner or the thing cause they fit right into that category, but I love both of them. Although funny enough, like I've seen Blade Runner in theaters multiple times, but I have yet to actually see the thing in theaters. I need to fix that. Um, I feel like I'm stalling right now for my answer. <laughs> um, oh man, I don't want to say pass. I'm just going to feel like a cop out at that point. Um, Maybe kind of related to the Bruce Boitation question. I'm probably going to get ripped to shreds on this one because I'm not saying it's a good movie per se, but it's more nostalgia on my part. I'm hoping Blue Underground fixes this soon. Circle of Iron. Oh, okay. Don't, don't know if either of you have seen it. It's a very, it's very much a movie of its time. And it's one of those films where I wouldn't call it Bruceploitation because like nothing in the movie screams Bruceploitation, but it's more the fact that it started life as basically a glorified outline by Bruce Lee. It's, a, it's, it's a, a David Isn't Carradine. that a David Carradine? It's a David Carradine yeah. film. Yes. yes. Yeah. It's really it, trippy, if I remember fantasy. correctly. Fantasy. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's very surrealist. I yeah. feel like if done right, it could have like a really solid like surrealist remake, but I feel like there's still a lot of elements that really make it feel like the late 70s. Like, I don't think Jeff Cooper should have been the lead. He's got like that California beach bum thing going on. And this feels like this should have been like the biblical era or something like that. Like the dialogue should have been Latin or something like that. Just very like all the characters could have been from like everywhere and nowhere. But at the same time, when you watch the original 78 movie, everyone just looks like they're from like California or something. Yeah. Uh, and it's ironic that you have David Carradine basically kind of like resuscitating his time on Kung Fu. It's like, Hey, I'm once again playing a character or characters that were allegedly going to be played by Bruce Lee, um, especially the, uh, the the blind flute player that he primarily plays throughout the film. Um, it's definitely got its you know cheesy moments, but there's a lot of philosophy behind it. Like you can feel Bruce's philosophy throughout the film. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's got a great concept, but the execution could have been better. But it's definitely worth checking out at least once. I've actually bugged Blue Underground because they put it on DVD twice. They put it on Blu-ray. They're doing a lot of obscure titles on 4K now. So I've kind of like bugged them on Twitter. It's like, hey, hey, when are we <laughs> going to get uh, the Silent Flute slash Circle of Iron on 4K? And they're like, ah! And they give like very vague answers. Like, so they don't ignore it. So it's like, 
I feel like it's probably in their queue right now to eventually get a, a 4K treatment. Um, it, like I said, it, it's very interesting. It's definitely like Bruce Bloitation by proxy, uh, for lack of a better term. Um, it was one of those movies that for years you just could not find. They had like one VHS release in like the early 80s by MC Home Video. And that was it until Blue Underground put it on DVD in like 2004, I think. I think, I think Blue Underground DVD is where I first saw it because I had heard yes. about it. Yeah, it was I, like over 20 years before it finally got another home release. Yeah. And I feel like they're doing that around the time of Kill Bill. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of like trying to cash in That's on That's when that. I saw it. Yeah. So that was when they, they did the first release. I think they released it first as... Well, it's confusing because they did like two transfers. One where they kept the U.S. Circle of Iron title. And then another release where they maintained the international title of the Silent Flute, which once again was Bruce's original title. Uh, one of the biggest giveaways is the fact that the Circle of Iron logo looks nothing like the rest of the opening credit font. But the Silent <laughs> Flute version does. Yeah. Um, but no, it, it's very much a story about trying to find the meaning of like what is the ultimate knowledge in life. And, you know, without giving away, you know, you two said you have or have not seen it. Oh, I've, I've seen, seen it. it. Yeah, I own it. Like, like okay. I said, I didn't. To Brad's point, I, it might have been around the Kill Bill time, but I remember yeah. getting that Blue Underground DVD because yeah. I had read about it and seen it. Because obviously, growing up, you you know, exposed to everything kung fu wise, you yeah. run across the kung fu TV show, and you're like, "Well, this David Carradine <laughs> guy, what else did he did?" So I I had known about it, and um, when Kill Bill was coming out, I think to Brad's point, that's when people were pushing Circle of Iron. Yeah, like I said, it was off the shelves for like 20 plus years. It was in the, uh, the moratorium as they called it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so minor spoiler alert for you know, those listening to this who haven't seen it yet. The ending funny enough is kind of inspired by one of the rumored endings for Bruce's original game of death where they thought, Oh, well he was going to film another ending where he went up to the final floor of the pagoda and he would have found like this treasure at the top, which would have been a book and they opened the book and it was going to be nothing but mirrors in it. Mm-hmm. And like, he never filmed any footage of him going up the stairs, so I don't know how true that is. But that is the ending of Circle of Iron, or you know, Silent Flute, in that like, oh, the ultimate knowledge in the world is in yourself. And then, funny enough, that was one of that was part of the ending of Kung Fu Panda. <laughs> so it's like, was someone working on Kung Fu You're Panda? Right. Oh my god, yeah. Circle of Iron. Like, it's entirely possible. I wouldn't be surprised. It'd be kind of hilarious if that's the case. But yeah, like I said, some people might get more out of it than others. I think the rating on IMDb is like middle of the road so yeah, it's very I, like your mileage may vary but it's definitely worth a watch at least once it's a very like surrealist late 70s type of movie and you know it's it's unique for that time period just don't go expecting like a balls to the wall martial arts movie it's more like a you know surrealist essential drama that has yeah. some action sequences in it so it's very different it's very unique that's a good pick i love it well <laughs> Look, we were excited to to kind of talk about martial arts movies with you in general. Um, what we were doing in December is Brad and I were using this month to go back for 2023 and pick films that bombed. And and trust yeah. us, uh, this was this was hard to do um, because there are so many movies that bombed. And and the one we yeah. talked about last week was The Flash. Um, oh, yes. So that was Brad's pick. My pick is one. From and anybody who listens to this show knows uh, my favorite action superstar actor director it's Jackie Chan hands down and he did a film that got very very limited release in the U S uh, and um, Brad's going to go through how well it did internationally but he did a film um, that came out in the U S this summer called Right On 
now, Jackie's had an interesting year, and we'll talk about that. But we thought it would be fun to bring you on because I think everybody taps you for talking about the classics. And this is one of the things I, I wanted to get you on the show for is like, I, I don't know if you get to talk about some of the newer stuff that's coming out of Hong Kong um, or China and, and Asian, you know, film in general. So I thought it would be fun to kind of take your film uh, historian expertise in, in this particular uh, part of the world and apply it to a Jackie Chan film that actually surprisingly is a bit of a look back on his career. Um, so Brad, I'm going to kick it over to you. When Right On came out into the theaters, both overseas and here in the U.S., how did it do? Yeah, so released April 7th of 2023. Budget is hard to nail down. Troy and I were were kind of looking and researching. It's got to be somewhere between like 30 and $50 million. That's kind of what typical Jackie Chan films are getting in the past few years. I, I know, Troy, we talked about Iron Mask. You know, that's arguably not a Jackie Chan film and not a Schwarzenegger film either, but you know, that was 50 million. So, um, so we'll, we'll kind of somewhere in there, um, box office total. So domestically it makes 128 K all from choice hour, um, <laughs> internationally it makes 36.1. So it makes about 36.25 million dollars during its run. When it is released uh, domestically in the U.S., its opening weekend, it is uh, ranked 24th, Troy. Yeah. Um, and it makes 64K, once again, all from Choice Hour. Um, and uh, <laughs> calling you out. Yeah. He's and not so wrong. Support- He's not wrong. I would I would drive across the country to see this. If, if, if uh, did I you see to. this in the theater, Troy? So, sadly, no, I didn't. Okay. Um, it, <laughs> so, what's crazy... Um, and Brandon knows this living in the Baltimore DC area. We, we have so many choices for films internationally to come and they play. Yeah. Um, and usually they'll play for a week or two. This one did like, I don't know, a Saturday, maybe a Sunday it was. And then when it got into the weekdays, they only had one showing and then it was gone. So yeah, it yeah. Only, uh, box office is only showing one weekend and then gone. Yeah. So it was, it was quick. Yeah. Because like, I, I don't know if you go to like Arundel Mills often, mm-hmm. but the Cinemark there, they they sometimes get a lot of those movies, and I, I don't think it played there, which was really it, weird. Like Wellgo, for some reason, didn't quite have it land there. And like I remember uh, when they were releasing Yip Man Four, that was at Alamo. I don't know how well that one did by comparison, but like some of them, you got to like hunt for. It's really it, it did well. Like it, choosy. Anytime there's a Don Lee film, we go to the Arundel Mills Egyptian. Cause I think <laughs> they'll, they'll show Korean films, uh, yeah. Indian felt like crazy. Um, yeah, they show a lot of Indian films there. Yeah. So, yeah. uh, this one, I, I want to say when I found it, it was playing in the theater in Bethesda out there and it was oh, okay. on, on just the weekend. And then I'm like, okay, Mark, I think I think it was landmark, and then okay. I I couldn't make that weekend, so I'm looking at the weekend or weekday shows. And it's like, well, three o'clock in the afternoon. Nope, I'll be I'm I'll be at work at that time period. So, <laughs> uh, also we're looking critically at sixty one percent with our critics, but an eighty percent with the audience, and then we will warp back to April of twenty twenty three, and we will see films released like the Super Mario Brothers movie, which I think is the number two movie of the year air um, a film called mafia mama, which is a real film. (laughs) Renfield 
and The Pope's Exorcist, along with Evil Dead Rises, which I like, Guy Ritchie's The Covenant, which stay tuned for that, <laughs> Bo is Afraid, uh, Sinsu, and the big, oh, big George Foreman. Oh, yeah. So it's that movie in, came out. Yeah, it's interesting. When this came out opening weekend, I think in April, it did better than Super Mario Brothers over there. Um, but what you have to understand is in terms of Chinese films, um, this is really low in box office in comparison to the two big ones. So I know I think Wa- it, Wondering Earth I think two, we found it came in 87th. I, well, I think it's even worse than that because okay. that uh, box office mojo numbers don't include like the box office for Wondering Earth 2, which made Probably, like a which is, gazillion um, dollars yeah. um, just oh. domestically over there. And and that's not even the number one film. It's um, I can't remember the title of it, but it's like Red River. Soar, um, oh, geez, I, I don't want to quote it because I cannot remember, but it, it's the number <laughs> one hit over there. And it was yeah. a thriller uh, intrigue film. But yeah, right on. I'm Jackie's films. You know, you talked about this making 36 million when Va- Vanguard came out, and obviously that was impacted by COVID. Um, it only grossed, I think, 50 million worldwide. Mm-hmm. So yeah. he's obviously had diminishing returns both in his home market as well as internationally as well. It's ironic with this film when you think about it. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, let's talk about some of the people behind the camera, and then we'll spend a little bit of time of uh, the people in front of the camera. So Right On is directed by Larry Yang. So he's only directed five films. Um, His first film came out in 2013 called Sorry, I Love You. And when we talk about production and development, we'll talk about how Larry kind of came across uh, Jackie Chan and got him into this film. Cinematography is by Sun Ming, and the fight choreographer for this film is Han Guanhua, so he had been working with Jackie since 2003's Shanghai Nights. I, f- I find it interesting, if you look at his filmography, he's, he's worked with um, Brad Allen. He was the assistant fight choreographer on Scott Pilgrim vs. the World in 2010. Oh, wow. Um, one of the later stage Jackie Chan films, that is fantastic. Well, Troy, before we move on too quickly, do you yeah. want to, because if people don't know for sure, and this is the first time they're listening, yeah. talk about why there are two different cinema, uh kind of two different directors on a film like this oh well i'll probably defer to brandon on this so okay <laughs> uh, the the fifty thousand foot level is making a film an action film in the u.s versus uh hong kong traditional hong kong is very different because your action director has a lot more control over those sequences Oh yeah. Um, to to the point that the Hong Kong Film Awards, sort of their version of the the Academy Awards, will actually give out um, like awards for the fight choreography, and usually from the fight uh, or action director. So when you see fight choreographer or action director of a Hong Kong film, I, I would think of it this way: your dramatic scenes and everything else, um, and the dialogue exchanges when people aren't kicking each other in the face, that's your director. Um, the director pretty much steps aside and when it comes down to the action sequences, now your action director comes in and they're doing everything. Um, is that, is that fair, Brandon, just at a real simplistic level? Yeah, because the funny thing is the easiest way you can tell is when you watch an American film or, you know, a non-Asian action film, because, you know, I could say like an Australian film, for example, because like, (laughs) 
I, I am a fan of the 2021 Mortal Kombat, despite its faults. But yeah, I find that safe. that's this is, this is safe space. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's an example. I feel where you can tell that the director was having more say on the way that the fights are shot and edited, as opposed to the action choreographer. And I've heard similar things happen with um, uh, GI Joe Snake Eyes, where like they had a strong stunt team working on that. But then the director kind of just like, oh, I'm going to do this, 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 and quick cut, quick cut, and then do this. And it's like, oh, so you've basically neutered the choreography. Yes. Okay, got it. Because like like I said, I enjoyed the 2021 Mortal Kombat, but you had quick cuts. No one knew how to undercrank. No one knew how to like get the right coverage rather than too much coverage because there are some fights where there's way too many angles being cut at once. Now, I'm not saying it's Liam Neeson jumping over a fence and taking three bad uh, quick cutting. But it was more than you needed, and it was one of those times where, yeah, the fight choreographer, action director, which is the better term for this, should have been fully directing because you do need very specific, you know, camera setups, lighting setups, and all these rigs for your fight scenes to look good. That's why I feel like on, you know, The Matrix, you let the Wachowskis give Yun Wu Ping more free reign to do things a certain way, so it did have that proper style. Um, but yeah, there are a lot of like non-Asian action films who are like, oh, well, I'm the director. I'm going to do this, 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 and this. Now, if you have someone like um, Gareth Evans, you know, who did the Raid films, not Gareth Edwards. Um, Different. <laughs> nice long joke about that online. Um, he is very much someone who understands how that works, which is why he's big on like previs and, you know, going through every step with the fight choreographers to make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, but sadly, that's not quite that's more the exception rather than the rule with, you know, non-Asian filmmaking, you know, whether it's a European film, an American film. Granted, I feel like European films have done better with that than American films. Like, for example, when you look at Jet Li's movies, you know, look at something like Kiss of the Dragon versus Romeo Must Die. It's like, oh, you can have well-shot fight scenes in his non-Asian films. It just depends on who it is. You know, that's why I think I feel like a lot more people enjoy Kiss of the Dragon over some of his American films mm -hmm. or, you know, Danny the Dog, a.k.a. Unleashed, you know, same thing there. Um, but, yeah, like like you said, it, it that's pretty accurate. It's definitely a case of like, hey, I'm the overall film director, but I'm going to take a step back and let the people who know what they're doing and know how to make these look good do their thing and make the, the rest of the movie kind of look good because of the good fight scenes. Yeah, so. there, there's I don't think people understand, especially when you look at it since we talked about Sammo Hung. What Yun Wu Ping, Sammo Hung, these guys do is outside of the editing, there is such an intricate placement of the people and the blocking and then the camera movement with them. Oh, yeah. And so that is why, and I will say this, you know, till I die, your, your period of Asian films, especially from 70, 80s, early 90s, will never be matched because you have these choreographers who had total control over that and even had input yeah. in the editing. Um, and like you said, Brandon, I mean, it, it just, it's a different concept from the American filmmaking style, but it very much was um, how it worked. And, and even the film we're going to talk about tonight kind of alludes to that uh, to a yeah. certain degree, but yeah, Han as a fight choreographer, he's worked with Jackie. Um, like I said, since 2003, it's interesting. He's gone from like stunt coordinator, fight choreographer, assistant, stunt person, stunt double. If you look at his, his filmography, he's he is extremely talented and he knows what he's doing. But I think what's important here is he's worked with Jackie long enough that he knows how to use Jackie in an appropriate setting as well. 
Um, let's jump in front of the camera. And of course we got to talk about Jackie Chan real quick. So we, we spent a lot of time talking about Jackie on episode 44 when we reviewed dragons forever. So go back and listen to that. Um, one thing to keep in mind is in 2023, Jackie is 69 years old. Okay. So just this year, he's had this film that we're talking about uh, today. He did the voice of splinter for teenage mutant Ninja turtles, mutant mayhem. Um, he had a film come out on Netflix called uh, Hidden Strike with John Cena. What's interesting about that, though, is filming was actually done in 2018, 2019, and it sat in limbo for a long time. Now, there's tons of reasons for that. Could be COVID, could be some comments maybe John Cena made um, when he was promoting and called something, you know, uh, its own thing when he shouldn't have and got in trouble with China. So if you if you want to find out about that, you can research it. To, to this day, I still wonder what company made him backpedal on that. I'm not going to get into the specifics, but yeah. it's like, hey, like maybe it was also an American company going like, hey, we're trying to still be buddy-buddy with China, so maybe backpedal on that thing, John, and yeah. eat an ice cream cone while you're doing it because it makes you look folksy. <laughs> yeah, it's <sighs> people People can find the apology and all of that, but yep. I, I, it's, I, I it's think awkward. it did. Yeah, I think it did affect that release, and finally it came out this year. Um, and if you, if you look at his filmography, especially late stage, you'll, you'll find some stuff, um, like Goodnight Beijing, All You Need Is Love, The Climbers, uh, which is a Wujing film. He kind of does a guest star in it. Action wise, you get, uh, Vanguard from 2020, Brad, you already mentioned Iron Mask in 2019. Um, The Night of Shadows between Yin and Yang in 2019 as well, which, okay, we, we won't go there. Um. <laughs> The Foreigner, which is fantastic. 2017 yes. is an interesting year. He had, so 2017 for me exemplifies Jackie in his later stage. You get one really great film like The Foreigner from 2017. But that same year you get Bleeding Steel and Kung Fu Yoga, which should be avoided. Um, but which I, I have so far. I saw The Foreigner, saw it in theaters, and that was it. <laughs> you're, you're, living, you're living a good life there. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just I want to kick it over to you, Brandon. Um, what do you think about Jackie Chan, and what are some of your favorite films uh, from his filmography? Well, I, I will kind of like put it at the forefront. I was thinking about this the other day that like once you get into 2000 onward, I feel like I fell off a lot. Like I'm not gonna say which ones I haven't, or yeah. I'm not gonna say which ones I haven't seen because there's some I should have that I haven't yet. Um, but you know. I feel like I kind of stumbled into a lot more of his Western stuff, like, you know, the Rush Hour trilogy, the Shanghai films. But like I said, I saw The Foreigner. I was actually lucky enough to catch that in theaters. As brief as it was, I really did enjoy that one. But when it comes to, like, favorites, I mean, as you mentioned earlier, I am very much an old-school Jackie fan, you know, 70s through the 90s. And I, I kind of waffle because I, I feel like a lot of people will jump back and forth between Police Story and Drunken Master or Drunken Master 2. I love all those. Um, but Young Master is probably the one that I still go back to a lot. I mean, that's also one of the ones I got to do a commentary for yes. because it is one of my favorites, if not my overall favorite Jackie film. Because I feel like when you see Jackie in that movie, he still gives this vibe like he still has something that he needs to prove. I mean, it is still early in his career, but, you know, he already had the one-two punch of uh, Snake of the Eagle Shadow and Drunken Master. And, you know, he could have been somewhat resting on those laurels once he went over the Golden Harvest. But he's like, no, now I'm actually 
a star at Golden Harvest, not just a stunt guy at Golden Harvest. I really have to like go in even harder now. And that's why, you know, there's that elusive like three hour assembly cut that he first put together that some people are still hunting for. Um, like even the footage that we have, like is kind of close, to, like two hours total between the three, like the multiple cuts of the film. Yeah. And like, you can see it all on the screen, like how much he was literally throwing himself into that movie. And like, obviously you still get that in police story as well. Like five years later, he's still literally throwing himself into this movie, but with young master, it's like, I have to do anything and everything with this movie. And it's like, you could tell he was trying to prove himself, even though he, like, yeah, like I said, it's still early in his career, but at the same time, it's like, Jackie, we get it. You're great, but don't kill yourself yet. Um, because then you have something like dragon Lord where it's like, okay, you're trying a lot of things you're exerting a lot of energy, but you might be going in the wrong direction. Yes. You know, it's one of those things. So it's also a matter of like him fine tuning. So I think, I think the reason why young master is one of my favorites if not my favorite Jackie film overall is the same reason why the big boss is my favorite Bruce Lee movie, because there is that sort of raw rough around the edges energy of people having something to prove, even if they're not their best movies, you feel that energy come from those leads in both films. Uh, they're, they're underdog movies in different ways. Um, so that's why Young Master is always like my my quick go-to. Will I say it's his best movie? No. Is it my favorite Jackie film? Yes. <laughs> so. I, I love that pick. And, you know, you talk about Young Master. And then the other one I wish more people would talk about is, you know, again, everybody talks about police story. More people need to talk about crime story because yeah, his yeah. acting ability in that film, it, it has all of the amazing stunt work that he's known for. But there's this gritty realism that permeates the film. And he brings this performance uh, that is just absolutely fantastic, in my opinion. Um, And while you talk about Young Master and trying and him saying, okay, I got to prove myself to the world. Like I got here. Now I'm going to I'm going to let everybody know I need to stay here. Yeah. For me, crime story is him going out there and going, hey, folks, I can do more than just jumping off buildings. And oh, yeah. I love his performance in there because I think he's doing the same thing that you say in Young Master, but he's he's putting that in his acting in Crime Story. But I, I love that pick. And I think there is, even with Crime Story by 93, I think there's still that fear of going against type because a lot of people talk about Dragons Forever and how the three of them yeah. were kind of playing characters against type, even though they weren't like serious characters going against type. Like they were still comedic characters that were just differently done and the film didn't do well. You know, you want to talk about a bomb that everyone should have seen, you know, dragons forever, you know, yeah, that's, money. that's why we covered it. <laughs> yeah. You know, exactly. It's like, you know, and so with crime story, you're really going into playing against type, you know, with Jackie, especially when you take into account the same year we got city hunter. Yes. So it's like two drastically different characters for Jackie to play. I mean, granted, you know, um, what, what was the character's name? Is it uh, Ryu? Mm-hmm. Ryu or Rio? I can't remember. I Sh- shows how often yeah. I've seen City Hunter, um, uh, Saiba, uh, the, the main character from City uh, City Hunter. Um, granted, that was already an established character, but still, once again, two drastically different characters for Jackie to play in one year. But, you know, I feel like in some countries and some territories, when people know actors to do something a certain way, they expect them to always be like that. And then when you try something different, no matter how good your performance is, people are like, Oh, that I don't, I don't like change. Uh, you know, they kind of do that thing. So it's unfortunate really, but yeah, crime story, crime story is another one I need to really revisit. You need to get arrow somebody to do a new like release of it. I know the 88 films one is out there, but get, get something else going. Cause I want to hear your commentary on it. Like that's my <laughs> Christmas list. Wish. Well, <laughs> might be tricky at this point because now 
I'm assuming Idiot probably still has the UK rights. And yeah. of course, now here in the US, Shout just put it out on Blu ray. So it might be a while before anyone else kind of uh, tackles that one. So uh, the, the, the rights to these movies are a little. A little tricky at times. I know, so, I know. As I've learned behind the scenes, it's so so crazy. Well, real quick, Brad, before we move on, um, I'm curious. Like he's talked about Young Master, I've talked about Crime Story. What's the Jackie Chan film that you would champion now? It may not necessarily be your favorite, but the one you don't think gets enough love. I mean, I kind of like my Jackie Chan with a little spice of Indiana Jones. So I'm going to say Armor of God. I, I just, I, I. I don't know if that was the first Jackie Chan film I saw, but it was one of the first and one of the ones I remember the most. Um, and I think it might be a little bit of morbid stuff going on because he falls out of a tree and almost kills himself. Yeah. But um, yeah, it, all, Armor of God is always the one like if I'm not going to watch Police Story or Crime Story or Project Day or one of the big ones, it's Armor of God for me. Okay. Nice. I love that pick. Well, there's only a, a couple other people I want to mention. Um, I, I don't want to spend too much time because I really want to get into what everybody's thoughts on this film are. But since we're we're talking about Hong Kong action stars and Asian action stars, I do want to point out you also get Andy On in this. Um, he plays sort of a, uh, a, a low level collector, um, and you would we've actually talked about him before because we talked about uh, Michael Mann's Black Hat from 2015, mm -hmm. and that was back on episode 77. Uh, Andy on is one of those, I really enjoy seeing him when they use him correctly. And so some of the films that I think that they do a great job with him is Special ID, Donnie Yen's film from 2013. Mm -hmm. um, Johnny Toe uh, worked with him on Mad Detective in 2007. He has a fantastic fight scene with Jackie Chan in New Police Story from 2004. He got his start, if you look at his filmography, his first film is a sequel to a Jet Li film. Um, it was called Black Mass 2, City of Mass. Not a great film. Not not <laughs> a great way to start your filmography. Um, you also get uh, sort of a special appearance from Wu Jing. So Wu Jing is sort of the new hotness in Hong Kong right now in, in Chinese cinema. Um, if you go back and look at some of the top grossing films for that, con uh, for that country, you're going to see... Wu Jing's name in there, specifically movies like Wolf Warrior from 2015 and Wolf Warrior 2 from 2017. They're fantastic action films. Um, but um, just this year, Wu Jing had The Wandering Earth, Right On, Meg to the Trench, and Ping Pong the Triumph. So he's been super busy. Is Ping Pong the Triumph like an actual ping pong movie? I believe it is an actual ping pong film. So <laughs> oh, sports I'm, film. I am going to watch that. But here's a couple of titles I would recommend to check out with Wu Jing as well. Um, Kill Call Zone. Of Heroes. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I was going to recommend 2005's uh, Kill Zone and its sequel, Kill Zone 2 from, I think it's 2015. Now he plays two different characters in it. And uh, go back and watch one of his earlier films, Drunken Monkey from 2003. Last but not least, Yu Rong Wong. So he, this film doesn't necessarily have a villain. But if you were to have a antagonist, I think he would be considered that. Uh, most people would know him from Donnie Yen's Iron Monkey from 1993. Another film you should check out is Rock and Roll Cop. It's a Kirk Wong film from 1994. Um, he's worked with Jet Li in, in films like My Father's a Hero. And um, uh, he shows up even in Korea films. There's one, I, I think it's called Musa from 2001. You'll find it as The Warrior. He's really good in that one. And then, of course, he's in New Police Story as well mm -hmm. from 2004. Uh, 
And he was also in the uh, 2010 Karate Kid with Jackie. Oh, yes, that's right. He is. He's, he's, he's uh, the, uh, the Chinese Martin Cove, basically. He is or, the uh, Chinese, Chris, Mar- I should say. I like that. <laughs> he is the Chinese. He plays the Chinese Martin Cove a lot of yeah. time in, in a lot of films. <laughs> I, Although now I, I don't know if we can call that a remake anymore, anymore because that little thing that Jackie did with Ralph Macchio, it's like, are they saying that this new movie is now like making the 2010 movie a a remakequel instead of a remake. Like a, it's very confusing. Oh, man. So Tr- Troy's going to have an aneurysm. Yeah. Just, don't get me started on that. It's like, <laughs> just stop guys. Just stop. Um, I don't know the horse's name. Couldn't find any information on that. We know he plays red hair in this film, but uh, real quick on production and development. So director Larry Yang was a fan of Jackie Chan and he wrote this screenplay after watching a documentary about Kung Fu stuntmen. So he gives Chan the screenplay and wants him to look at it. Chan says, nope, there's, there needs to be some revisions here. And he says, you know, you get a few months and revise it. So Larry, he took five days and then gave it back to Jackie. And Jackie said, yep, I'll do this film. Principal photography started on September 27, 2021. And it concluded November 10th of 2022. The other thing for those uninitiated in current Hong Kong cinema or Asian cinema, when you watch newer films now, you will spend the first five, maybe 10 minutes watching a bunch of production company animation Logan uh, logos. I mean, it goes on and on and on. So I read my mind. Yeah, it, it's crazy. And I'm, I, I'm sure it's like the family guy gag about that. Yeah. There's what's and I, and, and Brent, I don't know about you, but from what I read, it's, it, I mean, that's kind of the state of cinema over there that it takes that many production companies. You're, you're not going to find like a golden harvest that puts all its money up and, and yeah. okay, they own the film, but it takes, you know, five, six, seven production companies to bring this stuff together. And we only saw, I think, like five logos, but I think they list off like 10 companies yes. once the actual credits kick in. So it's like, mm-hmm. these five earned their logos. The other five, ah, we'll just give a mention. Yeah, <laughs> So exactly. they didn't put in as much money. Yeah, their Kickstarter <laughs> wasn't enough. They only got a special mention. For Indiegogo. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, listen, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to see if Jackie Chan's uh, new film from 2023 uh, is any good or not. If, if he still has that magic. So... Um, We'll be right back. Stay tuned. It's intermission. Rise and stretch time. Time to refresh yourself and visit our snack bar. Got a yen for hot popcorn? Your favorite soft drinks are sparkling cold. The juicy Frank sizzling hot. There's delicious coffee freshly brewed. And all kinds of ice cream and candy to tempt you. Showtime will be announced loud and clear to get you back to your car in time. So stretch your legs. Come to the snack bar now. On a mysterious island in the South China Sea, there is a fortress without walls, protected by an invincible army that needs no ordinary weapons. This is Enter the Dragon, the first martial arts film produced by a major Hollywood studio. John Saxon, U.S. Karate Champion Jim Kelly, and Black Belt Hall of Fame superstar Bruce Lee. Penetrate the secret chambers of Han's evil empire, discover its secret, and destroy. This is Enter the Dragon, where the world's greatest martial arts athletes meet the ultimate challenge with the most ancient and deadly of weapons, the human body. Enter the Dragon. 
from Warner Brothers, rated R. Under 17, not admitted without parent. Okay, we're back. Uh, Brandon, <laughs> yeah, I'm dying. I am dying to know what you think of this film in general. Uh, it. I hate to say that I'm probably siding more on the, um, the, the critic scale on Rotten Tomatoes for this one, in okay. which it's fine, but I, I feel like I really don't want to sound like a... Uh, someone working at Miramax or New Lane Cinema in the 90s, but it probably could have had a little bit of fat trimmed. Uh, I feel like there were a couple times it was kind of going in circles. Okay. Um, it's so enjoyable enough, especially like as someone like myself who is into the old school Jackie stuff, kind of seeing those moments where there is a nod back to that era. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's not bad. It's definitely worth a watch, but I don't know if it's one that I'm going to want to rewatch or at least multiple times. That's, that's just me. So it, it, it's interesting you say that. I, I think Jackie's films coming into the U.S. Uh, I, I mean, you you did a commentary about New Fist of Fury, which was <laughs> dramatically trimmed down. Yeah. Um, in the, when he was finding his fame on his second go around, starting with Rumble in the Bronx, going to First Strike, et cetera, Twin Dragons just went through yeah. a massive you know, chopping block. Um, there was such a concentration on getting to the fights more so than letting the film breathe, et cetera. This film obviously has, um, let's say three traditional solid Jackie Chan action sequences. Um, it's the introduction of Andy on's gang, um, with get a little teacup catch too, which was kind of fun. Um, Mm -hmm. there's dinner with the daughter, then fight breaks out there. And then the last one, which is uh, the the creditors of the gang, comes back and tries to steal the horse. And I think you're right. If if this were released in the '90s, it would have been like how to how do we get to those three sequences? <laughs> like they probably would have chopped it down to like 85 minutes. That would have been a little too excessive, in my opinion. Yes. Like it, because I, the, the final runtime right now is like two hours and five minutes, I believe. Yep. Um, and we. It's funny, there's been more of a discussion just with movies in general nowadays, like how long is too long for a movie? And I feel like it depends on the film. Like, you know, I, I've watched some two-hour movies that felt longer than three-hour movies. So it really depends on the film. This one, I feel like, once again, there are just moments where we were kind of just going in a circle. Like, there were moments where it felt almost like I was watching a limited series, like 10-episode TV show that was suddenly cut down to a two-hour movie. They kind of had, like, that sort of weird pacing to it like you feel like you're watching multiple episodes that have just been like truncated into two hours okay yeah rather than letting things breathe more for like a five to ten hour limited series or like getting more to the point in less than two hours and it's one of those things where like your brain's kind of going back and forth like what would have been the better route to go with but yeah like i I respect like the the fight scenes weren't like the core story here but at the same time like i said some of the dramatic beats it's like i feel like we've already done this I feel like we've already done this. 
I once again feel like we've already done this, where it's like getting to the point of like what each dramatic beat is. Um, and there's like a lot of teases where you're thinking, oh God, something's going to happen to red hair and it doesn't. And you're like, oh, okay. And like, there is that moment later on where it's like, oh, something did finally happen where it's like, it's almost like the boy who cried wolf at that point with these things going on. So by the time there is sort of that danger where he's fine, but then Jackie is tossed from the horse, right? Like, oh, this is what you thought was going to happen like a half hour ago. And now it did finally happen. So it's not like, like we look back on when, you know, Miramax New Line Cinema got a hold of these films and we're just like cutting away just to get to like an hour and a half or even less. There were times where it's like, okay, I can see why this scene was cut. And then you're like, oh, wait, why was this scene cut? These scenes cut. They, they shouldn't have been cut. So like it's, it's sometimes you get editors who understand like, okay, well, we can kind of tighten up the pacing to get here. And then you just get people who are just trying to get to a certain runtime without taking into consideration, you know, plot holes and, you know, character development. So it is that tricky tightrope walk of like trying to find a good pacing with your film. Like what we watched, like with Right On, it felt almost like you're watching – not an assembly cut, but it's almost like it needed one more pass before it was finished. Because, like, there are some movies where you watch, like, deleted scenes later on where you're like, oh, I can see why this was cut. But then you watch another one where like, oh, why'd they cut that scene out? They should put that back in. And then sometimes people will try to do a fan edit Well, they'll put, like, some scenes back in. And then you see with the other scenes, you're like, oh, wait, no, I get why that was cut. Never mind. Take it back out. So it's one of those things where you kind of need context as, as, as well. But, yeah, I think with a film like this, you didn't need to like rush to get to those scenes. It was just more like some of the scenes that were still there just felt not too much like padding, but a little superfluous with what's already been established. Do you think it does? Do you think Larry uh, was getting a certain performance out of Jackie? Because there's a lot of melodrama in here. Yes. Oh yes. There's there's definitely a lot of melodrama. And and you will see a side of Jackie that you, I don't think people would expect going into it because if you watch the trailer and everything else, it comes off as sort of um, almost family comedy-ish a little yeah. bit. Yeah, and but, I think that was a tricky thing, too, is like, and we've seen this countless times with films around the world where marketing isn't really sure what to do. Yeah. Because, like, a lot of the marketing for the movie did seem to lean more towards, like you said, like a family comedy, you know, dramedy at most. Right. You know, like, oh, his daughter is dating somebody that he might not approve of. That's funny. Like, one of the first clips I saw was that scene where the two of them meet for the first time and he's just nervous as hell around Jackie. And so, you know, kind of implies that's what's going to be, you know, one of the core elements of the story. And it's really not. Like, they kind of get past that pretty quick. Um, and it's, it is tricky because, like you said, there is a lot of melodrama. I think half of it comes from the the, the film's music score, to be perfectly honest. Because <laughs> there's some scenes where, like, the score is good, but there are some scenes where it leans too heavily on the score to convey the emotion. Like, just let the actors do their thing, fade in when you need it, and then get away from it when you don't. Yeah. Like the dinner scene where Jackie's meeting his daughter's boyfriend's parents. Like, some of the music you didn't really need. Some of it was fine. Um but yeah, it's one of those things where I don't want to say it's like a dramatic tonal shift because that's nothing new for Hong Kong film. Like, right. granted, this is a mainland film, but with Hong Kong film, especially in the I, '80s, those tonal whiplashes were were everywhere. Well, um, I, I think it still is. I mean, it, yeah, I, I think that's a trademark of of some of these Hong Kong Chinese films. Like, you you have to be ready for that tonal shift. You have to be ready for melodrama to to I don't know insert itself in in yeah in some odd situations. Yeah, and. It is one of those things where it just feels like it's kind of going in a circle, though, where it's like you don't know where the wheel's going to land next. Yeah. And you don't know. It's like you have the scene where, you know, Jackie is 
pouring his heart and soul into it where he's like just crying all these tears then suddenly oh he's back on set we're having fun doing the stunts and everything it's just like i i don't know what to feel right now so <laughs> and you know it's some of the whiplash back in the day you're kind of used to but with this i think it's just because it was like more modern that it felt kind of off at the same time i i don't know it might have just been me at that at that time but but i i, I would would you say that it's is it something that if people like martial arts films or people are a fan of Jackie Chan, because I, I feel like nobody knows this thing even exists, True. to be quite honest. Is this something that you would still kind of go, hey, look, it's a 69-year-old Jackie Chan. Mm -hmm. um, it's a role. He's not playing a cop. He's not doing this. It's an aging yeah. stuntman. Is this something that you would still recommend as, hey, I, I think you still need to check this out if you're a fan of people getting kicked in the face or, or even of <laughs> Jackie Chan in general? I do think it's it's another case of I think it's worth a watch at least once because it is one of those movies where I like the idea. I like Jackie playing a character who is coming to grips with his mortality. It's it's basically very existential. Yeah. Um and you know, it's kinda of like watching uh, Sylvester Stallone and Rocky Balboa or, you know, either of his appearances in the, the first two Creed films. It's very similar to those. Um, I, as I used the phrase earlier, I feel like the execution wasn't quite there, but the concept is really strong. Like the whole, you know, stuntmen never say no phrase, which came from that documentary. Right. Um, or at least the documentary made more people aware of that phrase because it's like, you cannot say no because yeah, you could put your life on the line, but your career could also be on the line. And so your career was your life for 90% yeah. for uh, of it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And I think like th there's something there, but I feel like the execution was just a little clunky. Like it's not bad by any stretch of the imagination. Like I said, the pacing is just kind of all over the place. Um, you know, the, the, the tone's a little over the place, but just seeing Jackie sort of like be more self-aware and, you know, acknowledging like, it, you know, it's easy to jump down. It's more difficult to step down. I, I like that line. And it's kind of showing his self-awareness. Um, so it's there. And it's something that, you know, a lot of us will face at some point in our lives. But once again, I feel like the execution just could have been a little better. So it's not one I'm going to say, oh, no, stay away from. It's just going to be a case of it's more of a drama. The marketing didn't quite know how to sell it. Right. Um, there is some old school Jackie fun to be had in there, but just don't go in expecting that. But if you want something that kind of honors his past work, you know, I, I feel like that's a, a good place to go with it. Um, granted, I feel like that video that went viral of him being surprised by his stunt team of uh, the montage of his past work got that job done a little better rather than a two hour movie. But at the same time for a film to kind of dramatize that in a narrative fashion, you could do worse. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's not bad. It's, it's definitely worth checking out at least once. And as you mentioned earlier with some of his more recent output, like bleeding steel, Kung Fu yoga, you can do worse. So oh yeah. yeah, yeah. You I haven't definitely seen them can. per se, but I've seen <laughs> clips from them and I'm like, no, I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. If the clips aren't selling it for me, um, I'm good. Like, I, I'll probably eventually see them just out of curiosity. Cause you know, I am an old school Chan fan, but the newer stuff is just like, ah, it's kind of like me once again with Sylvester Stallone who we know has been friends with Jackie as well. Ironically enough, I'd rather watch a lot of his older stuff than most of his newer stuff, but there is still, still some newer stuff that I will watch, but I'm just a lot more selective with it. Yeah. So no. And, and I and, will say this, yeah. if you've seen hidden strike and some of the CGI and just that movie in general, 
Uh, oof. Um, this will look like an Academy Award winning film, to be quite honest. This will be Citizen <laughs> Kane to you. It's, I, I didn't see Hidden Strike, but just from what you're telling me, it's like, oh, that might be another reason why I just sat around oh, for hey, so look, long. Just, just watch the first, I don't know, Brad, is it 15 minutes? The CGI oh, alone? It's Yeah, the, the you, green screen. I mean, it is just... It'll blow your mind how terrible it is. <laughs> it's so ironic that Jackie says, and right on, that it's like, oh, you know, we can't be doing all these things with all these special effects and such. It's like, Jackie, that's that's what you do now. I've seen You've better, even... like, no, good. I've seen better green screen on people's, like, Zoom calls and stuff. Oh, no. So, yeah. Oh, he's not. He's not over-exaggerating at all. Oh, no. Um, oh, no. Okay, Brad, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. Uh, this... I'll be honest with you. When I wanted to talk about this film, I immediately thought, Ooh, there's so much melodrama in here. I don't know how Brad's going to receive this. Um, so I'm, I'm real curious where you land on this one. Well, well, first I, I have to set the stage a little bit because I've known Troy for 15 years and essentially the, of the first day I met him, he like asked me if I like Jackie Chan films. And of course I did. And so Troy and I's relationship is based on horror films and Kung Fu films and, and mostly Jackie Chan stuff. And so um, every time I see one lately, it's been me making fun of Troy because I was like, man, this movie sucks. <laughs> it's, uh, it's true. <laughs> but you, you can't, you can't deny the output for damn near 30 years. Um, and just uh, how important it is. And so when I saw the preview for this one, I thought this is like a buddy comedy film with Jackie Chan and a horse. Like, no, thank you. Um, and what I got was like a self-reflective melodramatic film that talks about a stunt man who was essentially Jackie Chan basically being phased out of the, the film industry which is basically what is happening now. Um, and I have to say, I was not prepared for how emotional this movie made me feel. I I am usually not one for melodramatic bullshit, to be perfectly honest <laughs> with you. I can smell that coming a mile away, and my dark heart does not feed into it. It's like but, that moment in Wayne's world where he's grabbing the water, throwing it in his eyes, yeah. and says, like, Oscar clip or something. Yeah. Like that <laughs> and, and that's what it, like... There are moments in this film with Jackie that I really feel for the guy yeah. and he's crying and I'm like, I'm starting to well up here and I don't know what's going on. I think it's because this individual means so much to me. It means so much to my relationship with Troy that I just, <laughs> I got so emotionally involved and so torn up by the story and of course i'm from kentucky so horses like mean so much to me anyway so i have jackie chan i have this horse and i'm just like i am just this ball of emotion oh. and and i have to say like yes it is over long and there are some some things you can cut out yeah but there are moments in this that just get me in made me cry so i <laughs> cried during ride on so much i don't know what was going on with me or what was it? But seeing, you know, old clips of Jackie Chan and him getting yeah. hurt and him hanging off the, I'm like, I've seen him hang off this damn bus a hundred times. Why am I crying? Like, I think this is the most badass thing I've ever seen. But now that I see it in the flashback and Jackie Chan looking at himself, I'm like, I'm crying. I'm, I don't know why I'm doing it. So I, I just, I, 
it just got me. I don't know what this film has over me or what kind of power it has over me, but it does. And I, I was invested the entire way and I damn near loved the thing. And I, I think it's just how it makes you like appreciate Jackie Chan as a stuntman and as a director and just as his, like, this is like showing how important he is and how he was. And you can see it in this film because I think a lot of times like people aren't going to appreciate Jackie Chan until his montage he gets at the goddamn Academy Awards when he's dead. And yeah. I'm just like, no, this is it. This is what people need to see. I think if you have any sort of appreciation for any sort of cho- uh, fight choreography or Jackie Chan himself, you have to see this because I just think it's such an, a great send off to a man who's worked his ass off for 40 years uh that you know or fi- oh god like 50 years now um <laughs> so yeah troy i this this movie with jackie chan and a horse just really got me i was not expecting it wow i'm i thought i'm kind of i'm shocked to be quite honest <laughs> i just sound cynical by comparison yeah i know Gosh, well, brandon I sounds like the heart. asshole all of a sudden <laughs> I know. It's like, well, now, now you're getting to know me uh, <laughs> i mean i i do agree like i said like i i had some issues with the film but at the same time like i've seen jackie cry in other movies but this is like the one time where it feels genuine it's like i don't think he's acting in these scenes i think like wendy it's ther- it, it feels it's like real therapy to be quite yeah. honest it yeah. it's crazy I, and I, I think, um, <laughs> so what's, what's interesting, uh, I, let's talk about this real quick. So the infamous daughter watching his old clips. Oh, yes. So what happened over the summer was this clip circulated around the internet and God, I, everybody I know under the sun tagged that, me on this don't, thing. Don't. Oh, okay. Tag you. Yes. Yeah. Tag me on this thing. They're like, Oh my God, have you seen this clip? It's Jackie and his daughter and they're watching his old clips and you, and you get this emotional gut punch from him. And I'm like, I'm sorry, what? And I look at that and I go, okay, if you know anything about Jackie Chan and his relationship with his daughter, <laughs> he, he has no relationship with his, daughter. there is no relationship with his daughter. So I'm not going to get into yeah. that. Um, you can, you can go research that, et cetera. It's- it's a big can of worms. It is a and huge it, can it, of worms. Yeah. It, it makes it a little more interesting when you watch this movie. It's like, oh, he's trying to reconnect with an estranged daughter. Yeah. <laughs> However. Like, that's, all, that's all I'm going to say. It, it is. You're absolutely right, Brandon. But I, I think what's crazy is this almost feels like he is um, putting this, I don't know, like he, he's in his head, he's going, I I want to connect with her. Like the, it almost feels like this performance has a little bit of guilt behind it as well. It's like that's the one thing he's more scared of doing than any stunt he's performed. That oh my god, you nailed it. That is perfect. I mean, when he talks about the uh I, I the line you you said, jumping down is easy, stepping down is hard. Yeah. When I hear that, I feel like he's actually saying that and he's talking about his personal life. And he's specifically yep. talking about possibly his daughter. I don't know, yep. but there, there feels like so much truth in some of these lines. And then the other thing that hit me hard was when his film daughter tells him you got old before you grew, you up. grew up. And I'm like, Holy shit. That, that is some poignant stuff that I didn't expect in a buddy comedy horse movie <laughs> um 
but I, I, I mean, I agree with you, Brandon. Like there's, <laughs> is it too long? Absolutely. Does it go yeah. in circles with some, some of its melodrama? Absolutely. But I'm in Brad's camp. Like I like, there's still great stuff in yeah. there. Like I, I've joked in the past about certain movies where it's like the, this film was like a three hour, seven out of 10, or excuse me, there, there was a two hour, eight out of 10 stuck in this three hour, seven out of 10 movie. Yeah. You know, I, I've said things like that in the past where it's like, I feel like another pass and it's, it's, there. I agree because, with yeah, you. Yeah. There are absolutely great things in right on, but I feel like it was a lot of like, just trying to like figure out where to get to the target, but no, like there's a lot of beats in there, like those moments where you can tell, as I mentioned earlier, you don't feel like he's acting in these moments. You feel like oh, he's absolutely. pouring his real self into these moments. Like th- those are great moments, but like I, to be honest, like I would love more of that than trying to, as you said, get to the next fight. Like by the time we got to a fight scene, it felt almost jarring to me. Like I wanted more of those real moments that was like true real life drama and not the melodrama. I think that's the tricky thing because you can have great drama without being melodramatic. But those moments, like both of you mentioned, they they hit you. They they make you start to they, they almost make you like make yourself feel a little existential. Like I'm, oh, I'm not even 40 yet. And I'm already having like some of the same feels that he was getting in the film. It's like, what have I done so far with my life? I need to do more. I, I, I need to like make all the things better. I don't even know what. So it's like, I started like get, getting a little existential on my end, just watching it. So yeah, there's great things in there. So, so absolutely. I, by no means am I shitting. Oh no, 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 I, I know, no. But I, I think, I think you're pointing out like to me, the only fault that there is in the film yeah. and it might be Larry Yang, like, I think everything else in this film is just running at a hundred percent, Yeah, but it's the directing of the, of the film, not the action directing, but the directing of the film that it really feels rough around the edges. So I I think, I think your commentary on that is, is pitch perfect in terms of, yeah, there, there is some kind of, we run, we ran that gambit already. We, we, we got there. Um, could we have tightened it up? Could we put more reliance on another scene to get that emotional beat or impact and let this one alone? I, I think that's in there, but my God, I'm, I didn't I, care at the end of the day. I let all that stuff slide. I, I'm with Brad. I did too. I mean, I've, I've watched this a few times now because it, it might be the hidden strike effect. Like hidden strike was so bad that this one I'm like, Oh my God, he's back. Um, but uh, the second, that's why I need to watch hidden strike first. Apparently. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. No, 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 don't. no, seriously. Don't it's not worth it. Uh, but that, that stupid stable scene when they're watching that clip and she starts, the horse is crying. She's crying. Jackie's crying. I'm like, my eyeballs are sweating so hard. My wife is watching with me. She's like, what is going on? She's crying. We've we've got sniffles through. I mean, there was not a dry eye in the home theater at all. Um, during this film to Brad's point, like there's something about it that just hits you. Um, and in my head, I'm like, okay, this is the role Jackie should be playing right now. Like he really needs to show off more of his acting chops. Yeah. Yeah, It can be a little melodramatic. Um, but man, it just, it tugs on the heartstrings. And when he brings that honesty to his performance, I'm looking at him going, okay, you are, you have it all. You are the greatest action stunt person ever but you're also an a-list actor when i look at this film i'm like yeah this and crime story prove you in in the foreigner even you can do stuff that people don't give you enough credit for especially in the acting department and it's funny when you think about the fact that he turned down 
everything everywhere all at once. Yeah. And he could have done that. And, you know, M- Michelle Yeoh obviously was fantastic in that. I mean, obviously, the, the Academy thought so. Yes, everybody, so, everybody um, thought so. Yeah. But, but, it, but it makes you wonder, like, what that would have been like. Because I feel like that film was her existential moment when you look at her personal life. When you realize that Supercop, when she made that, she had come out of retirement. Like, she yes. was already done by that point. Because she was married to, you know, the wonderfully monikered uh, Dixon Poon. Uh, <laughs> That's so, right. Yeah, the producer. They were together from like 87 to 92. They split and then she went back into film and she got, you know, t- to call, you know, what she had a second wave is an understatement. Yeah. Because like that's when a lot of her classics really, you know, came to the forefront. And then when you see her and everything everywhere all at once, seeing like how her life could have been different if, you know, she had been with this person or left this person or did this other thing or did that other thing. It's like, this feels like a fantasy autobiography at this point for Michelle Yeoh. So I feel like I'm not going to say that right on was Jackie's everything everywhere all at once, but there are some like very vague parallels between the two of them. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, I feel like funny enough, I got vibes of when he was Mr. Han and karate kid, like someone who still had the elements of what he was and wasn't sure like how to fit into this new world because there's like a few minor parallels between the two characters that felt very familiar. Um, and yeah, like, like you said, I feel like he needs to stop kind of chasing these characters that he would have been playing in, you know, the eighties and the nineties and early two thousands. And, you know, try to find, you know, these new characters such as, you know, the ones in right on and karate kid and the foreigner, cause that's where I feel like he excels now, granted, like you said with right on, and I agree with this is that it could have come down to the directing. Like there's a lot of great ideas there that just need to gel a little better and it could have been fantastic. Um, but, yeah, so I'm I'm definitely, you know, on the same page in a lot of those aspects. So, well, Brad, what did you think about the the fight choreography in here? Um cuz in specifically maybe those three scenes. There's there's one yeah. there's one I guess movie scene that happens with that axe gang and everything else. Yeah, um, axe, we'll talk yeah. about that in a minute, but what what did you think generally about Jackie doing his Jackie stuff? Well, I mean, I think you 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 kind of cut him some slack because you know he's sixty nine years old, but I still thought this the the fight choreography was really good and playful and and had a good flow to it. And and of course, you know you get spoiled because you're looking at this guy and you're like, good lord, like sixty nine years old and still doing all this stuff and you know throwing guys through tables and and you know the fast hands. And you're like this this guy's unbelievable at this age. So you know is it is it the best I've ever seen? No, of course not, but for someone who was 69 years old doing this stuff and making look good. And um, yeah, I, 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 enjoy, I wish there was more. I understand why there's not, but I, I wish I could see more of it. But again, you're asking a lot from a guy who's, you know, at the end of his road as a, as opposed to the beginning. Yeah. What about you, Brandon? What What was your take on this? So it's funny. Like one thing I was thinking of and, a lot of fans have already said this for years, but then the moment during the little, not really training sequence, but when he was with his daughter's boyfriend 
and had him over top of the large incense stick with the uh, the bowls of water on his knees. I'm like, can we just get him as beggar so already, please? <laughs> like, even if it's yeah. not a remake of Drunken Master, I just want to see him as Sohai at this point. Like, coming full circle, it would just be amazing. Because, you know, that character is meant to be an older character who can still beat your ass. Yeah. Like Jackie. This would be perfect. But, yeah, I, I feel like the, the fights that we got, mainly, funny enough, like, they're all the Andy on fights, if you think about it, aside from the Axe Gang fight on the movie set. Um, which I felt like was a cross between uh, Kung Fu Hustle and the Tea House fight in Drunken Master 2. Um, yeah. But no, the, the, the uh, three fights with uh, Andy on, I, I think they were, they were a lot of fun, uh, especially, you know, back at, you know, his home, basically, where he's kind of jumping around with a ladder and a chair. And, oh, you know, it's, all that's my favorite. Props. Yeah, it's, yeah it, it's, it's definitely felt, a callback, yeah. you know, use everything around you. Yeah. Um, when he's talking about the rocking chair, you're like, at some point in time, he's going to be in the <laughs> rocking chair. I just don't, know don't, Stop leaning in that. Don't, yep. don't leave so far back. Um, but, uh, yeah, no, I, I also love that the fight with his daughter where they're using the um the the vase or the, the the pot where it's like oh that's a nod to project a the one that he like yep. throws up with the uh, the bike um so yeah like a lot of little nods there like they they found a good way to kind of like mesh the old with the new where it didn't feel like too outlandish like yeah he's a little wire assisted but that's nothing new for jackie at this point and you know once again like you all said you know someone who's basically 69 years old even with wires doing any of this stuff is just like Really, like there's that one scene where they have like the montage of stunts where he does the shot where he like lands and breaks through the table and you see the camera right on his face. I'm just like, Jackie, you don't need to keep doing this. <laughs> like we respect the hell out of you, but you don't need to keep doing this. Yeah. And I wonder like how many others had that same feeling when you see that pain on his face. And you're just like, oh, my God, Jackie. Yeah, so it, it looked like, like it hurt. Bad. It's like watching oh, yeah. Ric Flair still wrestle. You're like, dude, you don't need to keep doing this. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. Well, Andy, on, him and Andy, on, like, I go back to New Police Story when they're fighting in the Lego um, set. Uh, there's like, there's like a, a big showdown, and they're in a Lego store, and they're going at it. I, I think him and Andy have a fantastic rhythm when they go against each other, uh, and they show it off in these three sequences. Yeah. Um, but I really like sort of the last one with the gang stealing the horse because it is it it feels like a classic Jackie Chan moment. I think all three yeah. do to a certain extent, but that third one just it I, I don't know it it made me feel like oh he's he's doing everything that everybody loved in Rumble in the Bronx with the yeah. uh, the warehouse fight sequence using everything around him etc. Yeah. Um, and it was super refreshing and it was fun. I this movie reminds me a little bit of. Um, I, I think it's like my wife's favorite Jackie Chan film, but gorgeous, uh, where oh, yes. with, you know, Brad Allen. So it, what, what's amazing about that film is, um, it's just a fun film and this film doesn't really necessarily have bad guys. It, it has people that are going through struggles and probably yeah. more gray villains, I guess you, if you want to call it that antagonists, antagonists. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> that, that's like you can have good people be antagonists or like gray area people be antagonists rather than it's funny because I feel like people kind of meld the term antagonist and villain together. Like, yeah, there is some overlap, but not always the case. Yeah. And like you said, Gorge is like the perfect example of that. Yeah. And this has that feeling in terms of it's a fun film. Um, but it's, it is a, what, what strikes me about this. And the first time I watched it, I'm like, well, wait a second. How much of this film is just, filled with this reverency for Jackie Chan. So what's amazing about it is you watch the film and you go, okay, they, they use clips from his, from his other films to kind of demonstrate what he was doing as a stunt person in the past. Right. Mm 
But if you pay attention to the film, right at the beginning, he's he's looking at a clock and you see a guy hanging off the clock and you're like, oh, that's a Project A reference, right? Um, at one point, there's a poster in the background behind his daughter and it says Thunderbolt. Um, there's the Indian makeup from Shanghai Noon. Um, so he dresses up that way. Yeah, probably shouldn't have gone back to that one, but that's okay. <laughs> but it's there. The uh, Now, you, you mentioned Kung Fu Hustle and Drunken Master too. So the bamboo pole with the axe gang is a reference to drunken master two you see him dressed up in his costume on set from uh, armor of god 2 operation condor so you see that little tidbit Mm -hmm. the training montage you talked about straight out of drunken master right with the incense and the cups um in the market i don't know if you recognize this so when him and his daughter are going to dinner in the market there's a guy in the background dressed as jackie chan from wheels on mills on a skateboard delivering um noodles and everything to everybody i missed that yeah so uh, the, you talked about the red and white pot um fight sequence so that's yeah. from project a he does the rush hour dance with the horse at one point oh yeah yeah um the polar bear cap from police story four ah, is yes. what he gives his daughter in the mall for a present um and then he shows up at the end when you know Wu Jing makes his cameo and says hey i want to want you to work on this film he's in the costume from the myth so that's what I thought. And yeah. It's funny that Stanley Tong was the director in that scene too. <laughs> yeah. So uh, what's amazing about this film and uh, it's, it's just fun. If you're a Jackie Chan fan, it's fun. Well, doesn't there kind of an allude to like, like please story three when he's on the Ferris wheel, he's trying to jump on the rope from the helicopter. Isn't that from, it's like they cross police story yeah, cr- three and my lucky stars. Yeah. Okay. It was like a hybrid of the two. Well, yeah. and one other one with armor of God, because that references the bad fall, yep. which he's yep. in the hospital. So when he's talking about that, you're like, Oh, he's talking about his experience when he was making armor of God. And he had his head. Even though we actually open. see that accident in the outtakes montage yes. at the, uh, the barn. Yeah. So this so it was like, Oh God. So this version had two, two deadly accidents in his life. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. Like, um, what's, what's fun just as a Jackie Chan fan is they did a, they did a really amazing job, not just showing clips of his past films, but if you, if you go back and watch it again, you will see all of these references to Jackie Chan films that are just placed throughout this entire universe. Even my wife Tabitha had asked, she's like, isn't that a hot air balloon? Doesn't that look like something from like around the world in 80 days, sort of in the beginning? I'm like, it could be at this point because there are so many callbacks to his film with the either posters, costumes, people dressed up as former Jackie Chan characters. Um, it, it It's so unique and it feels... It doesn't feel cheap. It really feels like Larry Yang is a uber Jackie Chan fan and made this film about an aging stuntman, but wanted to do everything he could as, in terms of referencing all of his greatest hits and all of his works in, in just this very unique space. So, And out of horse. And out of horse, absolutely. Um, I guess, Brad, anything else to add at this point or... I, I mean, I, I think if I said it during my 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 thoughts, but if you have any sort of love for Jackie Chan or the art form of of being a stuntman, I think this is a no brainer. I I really wasn't expecting to not like this because I thought it was just this goofy buddy cop guy with a horse. Like I had made fun of you. <laughs> so much for this film like this stupid film with the horse like what's what is going on and i watch it and just had this emotional turn with it and i 
I absolutely loved it, man. I, 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 yes, it's, it's too long, but it had me every step of the way. Awesome. I, I love that reaction to it. Okay. I'll kick it over to you, Brandon. Final thoughts on ride on. What do you, what else you got on this one? <laughs> so I know I sound like I've kind of waffled back and forth on this one tonight. Um, like I said, I, I feel like if you are a Jackie Chan fan, especially for an old school Jackie Chan fan, um, there's definitely a lot of good in here. A lot of like acknowledgement and, you know, respect for the classics in this film. A uh, little rough around the edges, as you put it earlier, um, but it's definitely worth a watch at least once. Um, as I mentioned earlier, just be prepared that it's it's not what the marketing tried to make you think it is, uh, but it's a nice little drama, if not sometimes melodramatic film with Jackie, you know, kind of uh, reflecting on his career. It's definitely, you know, give, give it a shot at least once, then see what you think. And, you know, your mileage may vary, as some people say, but um, yeah, you could definitely do worse. Okay. Well, we always ask this question. Um, obviously, I think this this thing didn't get a chance in the U.S., and I don't Ooh. think it did great over in its uh, origin, uh, country of origin. But at at a high level, do you think that 2023's right on? Is it a bomb? You mean like from a quality? Speaking? Yeah, I mean from a critical quality speaking. Yeah. I, I, I wouldn't consider it a bomb. I mean, it, it's it could it have been better? Yes. But I don't think it should have been as, you know, financially a bomb as it was. I, I think there was more there. I, I think people really didn't know what to expect or even, you know, be exposed to it. Like you said, I think there's a lot of people who don't even know it exists. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are just stumbling upon it, you know, just looking through you know, streaming or, you know, voodoo, because I actually just watched it on voodoo. I basically just rented it from there and, you know, just checked it out. And uh, yeah, it's one of those things where it's like, if you just watch a Jackie Chan film, like, oh, let's see what else is on there. And then suddenly you see right on on there. It's like, oh, let's see what that's about. Most people just don't know about it. So, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, I think it more is just, it's definitely not a bomb in the, critical sense. I mean, as you see online, like the average is around like six out of 10, basically for like the critics and IMDb, the audience score, as mentioned earlier, was a little higher, but yeah, I, I don't think it's really like a bomb per se, but you know, you've, you've mentioned Jackie, recent Jackie films that could definitely be considered more of a bomb than this. Oh, so I, I don't think it really, really deserves that uh, connotation that this one right on doesn't, okay. I should say. Right. So, well, Brad, where are you landing on this? It is not a bomb for me. Uh, this this movie made me openly weep many many times. So, <laughs> wow, but that's not something I normally do. That that is that is crazy. Uh, I'm with both of you. It's definitely not a bomb. I really hope more people check this out. Uh, yeah. It it is nowhere near the classics. Totally understand that, yeah. but I will say it could be considered a classic in terms of his acting um, and his acting ability. Because I yeah. think you get to see a side of him you just don't get enough of within his film career. So, uh, yeah, and, and be prepared to have some tissue. I mean, that that horse and Jackie, they 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 will make your eyeballs sweat a little bit. Yeah. Um, you'll be chopping some onions. So, <laughs> uh, Brent, look, I, I just want to first apologize because I know I, I have geeked out a little bit just having you. Um, oh, no, you're good. No, uh, <laughs> I it's just... I'm just telling you, you're doing the Lord's work with all of the producing, <laughs> the editing, the commentary, the essays. I, I love the fact that you are highlighting so many of these classics that are, are just, I mean, honestly, they're being discovered by a whole new generation. 
True. And the fact I, that you think that's the best part. Yeah. And you're walking people through not just the importance of that film, but then how it relates to just, you know, film history in general. Uh, and, and I, I love everything you do. And, and again, anytime I see your name on something, even though I probably own 16 copies of it, I'm still going to buy it, but, uh, I know you're super busy and I can't thank you enough for taking time out of your schedule to just, you know, hang with us. Yes, I greatly appreciate it. Um, how do people find out about your work and, and like when you, when you produce something or when a commentary comes out, like how, how are they going to discover what you're, what you're doing? I feel like nowadays I'm when it comes to my work on these, I'm most active on the, uh, the, the platform formerly known as Twitter. Okay. Uh, let, let's put it that way. Um, at old Pang Yao, L O excuse me, O L D P A N G Y A U. Um, that's just kind of like the quickest place for me to ramble about the stuff. I mean, yeah, I have a personal Facebook, but I joke with people. I can tell when, some people friend request me on there and it's like, Oh no, you're just going to see me have my existential crises every few days on here. Not, very little about my work on the Hong Kong films. Uh, but Twitter is where I kind of just ramble about a lot of like Hong Kong film or Hong Kong film related stuff. Like yesterday I bought a used copy of the seasonal production uh, super fights, which is, you know, like many of the seasonal Strandberg seven, as I call them, which of course kicked off with no retreat, no surrender. It's yeah. very cheesy, very corny with some great fight scenes. Um, but uh, yeah. And sometimes I try not to give away too many hints on there because sometimes I can put the tiniest morsel of a hint of something that I'm working on. Then people go, he's working on that thing. I can tell. So now I'm like, okay, no, I'm not going to do that anymore. Um, I, I try but, not uh, to decode your stuff um, to be quite honest. <laughs> but, there, there's a lot going on in 2024 from almost everyone at this point. That's all I'm going to say at the moment. So definitely keep your eyes peeled. Not, not necessarily for me, but you know, just keep your eyes peeled for like the official announcements from various companies in 2024. There's, there's a lot of wheels turning uh, from, from virtually everyone. And I'm trying to see what I can do here and there. But, you know, as I always say, I'm always flattered when people, you know, you know, compliment my, my work, but I'm one of just many working on all these, you know, whether you've got, you know, commentary wise, you've got like Mike Leader, Frank Jang, Michael Worth, Arnie Venema, you know, you have oh, Arnie, you know, yeah, a lot of people work, working behind the scenes, like, you know, Iron God, you know, and plenty of other ones. Um, it, there's just a lot of us working on these. So I, I try to make sure that, you know, everyone gets their due. And I always joke with people where it's like, oh, you know, historian and filmmaker Brandon Bentley. It's like, I'm kind of a filmmaker once in a blue moon. But then you got people like Mike Leader working on films like The Raid 2, you know, working <laughs> with Bruce Law and the, yeah. the car stunt people. It's like, no, he, he's working on the films. I, I I want to do stuff like that, but I don't I don't really get that chance. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, I, I would say probably Twitter. Sometimes the Blu-ray.com forums also as old Pang Yao, but um, the forums can get a little... Uh, volatile at times so there are times where that's, my mental health just yeah. says hey brandon go do something else that's an understatement for, for, <laughs> <laughs> for, for your own sanity just kind of step away yeah and you know there, there are times where like if there's like an inkling of a bit of like drama with something it's just like i i cannot really help with anything right now so i'm just gonna walk away collect my thoughts wait for the dust to settle then come back and go hey so this is what's going on with this thing and why we couldn't add this or why we couldn't do that like you know there are some movies where it's like hey we really wish we could have done this thing but for reasons a through f we couldn't and it happens more often than people realize and you know we have our own disappointment behind the scenes when these things happen but then try and explain to the fans why we couldn't do this thing 
you know, some people get it. It's like, oh, well, you should have done this. You should have done that. It's like, believe me, we try. Yeah. So, but they can uh, be unforgiving yeah, so, sometimes. <laughs> yeah, we, we try, but yeah. you know, no, it's, it's awesome. <laughs> we, we would love to have you on again. I, I know you're, we haven't even like delved into video game cabinets and um, <laughs> I'm surrounded by my arcade one ups in my home office oh, right I, now. I love so. your, I, that's a whole nother episode. I love your collection. I mean, you got like the full like racks that I wish I could have right now, but I'm, Still currently in an apartment at the moment, but when I finally get a nice proper size house again, I want to get like all the shelves because I have like a couple for the time being that are mainly holding the ones that I've worked on right now. Yeah. But there's still like I, I had to do the binder thing because I just didn't have the room to have like the full shelves like I used to. I'm getting there. I got to rectify that in the future. <laughs> yeah, these, these are getting maxed out because it, it keeps going that way. And so now I'm using <laughs> cases and stuff for just DVDs and saying, OK, I can just keep yeah. the Blu-rays up. But I got the Jackie Chan wall going and there's a lot nice. of your stuff in there. So. Uh, Brad, we do have some feedback. I can read it real quick. Go right ahead. Okay. So just wanted to highlight this one. It's from Michael. Uh, in the run-up to the release of The Flash, we talked about that last week. Yeah, run-up. Get it? Run-up. Yeah. He's <laughs> he's continuing those jokes. Way to go, bud. Uh, I had, ah, he runs. Yeah. I had an ongoing debate with friends about its release. I didn't think it would ever see the light of day, to be honest, due to the ever-growing controversy surrounding Ezra Miller. But I had decided that if it was to be released, that I would go and see it. But that opened up a wider conversation. Can you put aside the dislike of an actor or director? For example, I haven't watched a Kevin Spacey film for some time, but I have watched films by Roman Polanski. And it really comes down to personal judgment. Putting to one side, I enjoyed The Flash much more than most of the MCU's recent output. It has a sense of fun about it, but becomes darker as the film nears the final act. Ezra Miller is a compelling lead. His final scene with his mother justifies his casting. Michael Keaton is also great as Batman, and it's a shame that we are unlikely to see him reprise the role again. With regards to the CGI during the end of the film, it's a mixed bag. It's far from perfect, but I was delighted to see Christopher Reeves as Superman, but not so much Nick Cage, who just looks odd. For me, this isn't a bomb. It had so much going against it, and it turned out far better than it had any right to be. Take care, Michael. That is some great feedback. Yeah. That's an interesting point about putting aside like actors who, you know, or directors who have done some, I mean, Woody Allen has skated by for decades. Um, <clears throat> I mean, I, I always put it as like thousands of people work on films. Like, do we want to hold a hold 999 of them hostage because one person is a monster? Like if, if you want to, that's fine. Like it's your choice. Like I won't buy a Tesla because I think Elon <laughs> Musk is an absolute moron. So like, you know, I can't talk about the both sides of my mouth, right? Like I'll support, you know, I'll watch seven and be totally fine with it. A, because Kevin Spacey gets his head blown off, you know, that's totally fine. Um, There's that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I won't buy a Tesla. So, you know, I, I just think it's like personal preference and what you're okay with. Like to me, I don't know. We should probably shouldn't be like idolizing these actors and directors anyway, because they're probably you well, know, not the best people, but except, Jackie except Chan. for Jackie Chan. That's right. Well, yeah. unless you want like parenting uh, advice. Well, don't take that. parenting advice from Jackie Chan. I'll say that. Um, but yeah, I, I just think it's whatever you can could take. And if you're taking that stance and you're not going to see a movie because, you know, Ezra Miller is X, Y, Z, that's totally fine. But yeah, I, you know, found him good in the movie, but I would not, hang out with him so <laughs> yeah I, that's well said brad i love it 
if somebody wants to send in some additional feedback and and thank you everybody, I I didn't have a chance to pull everything we got, so maybe next week we'll we'll do a little bit more. But uh, Brad, how do they get a hold of us to send their thoughts on the movies that we talk about, or even recommend movie bombs that we should talk about in 2024? Yeah, so that's notabombpod at gmail.com, or you can head over to notabombpodcast, hit the contact us button, or find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, or X, or whatever it's called. X, yeah. Um, Yeah. What are we (laughs) doing? Do we announce what we're doing next week? Because, I mean, we keep flip-flopping, but... uh, Well, yes, because it's another week of Brad is a dumbass and picks something that doesn't necessarily fall into the rules, because we were doing bombs of 2020. Oh, I can't wait for you to explain this one. And I picked a film that technically was released in 2022, but it went wide in 2023. It is Babylon. Babylon was released in 2022, but it's wide release was January 7th, 2023. So I'm going with that. Okay. All right. (laughs) I can't, I haven't seen it yet. I can't wait to watch it. Um, I've heard. Man, I've heard everybody's 190 opinion. minutes long. Oh, boy. Why can't you pick something short, man? <laughs> oh, it says the guy who picks two movies. Okay. Oh, yeah. Well, we're getting to that one after Babylon. Yes. Um, but we had we had to we had to do this one. Um, Brandon, again, thank you so much. Uh, you, thank you for having me. You are amazing. And, and we hope we can squeeze some more time in your schedule sometime next year. And uh, we got to do like a video game movie or something. Um, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I would love to do something like that. Now, uh, even though the audience won't be aware, hopefully my laptop won't shit the bed next time. <laughs> <laughs> Multiple times. <laughs> I will I will not have Brandon Bentley quality editing skills, but I'm going to try and get those crashes edited out. We'll be good. We'll be good. They'll never know. Yes. <laughs> hopefully. Hopefully. They'll, they'll probably catch on. We'll be like, wow, that was a crazy transition. But uh, if the, if the edit didn't work, um, just understand it's my fault. Um, but yeah, so uh, Brad, anything else? Should we should we recommend some other podcasts or anything like that? Uh, you know what? We always should do that, Troy. Okay. Friends of the podcast are Gentleman's Guide to the Midnight Cinema, Watch Skip Plus, The VHS Files, Night of the Living Podcast, Backlook Cinema Podcast, The Mixtape Podcast, and Raiders of the Podcast. Yes, head over to YouTube, check out our friend John's, uh, and now for something a little bit different, um, I I watched something that he did on Quantum Leap. I never watched that television show, but now I, I'm kind of interested in it. So um, yeah, go check it out. Uh, I guess that's it. So folks, I don't know if you're listening in the morning, the afternoon, or evening. Thanks for downloading the show. Please go and check out Right On. I, I think you're going to like it. It's a, it's a really good Jackie Chan film. And join us next week when we talk about the bombs of 2023, because we're going to talk about a film from 2022, and uh, we're going to use Brad's logic here. But uh, yeah, we'll go watch Babylon if you got like four hours or whatnot during the holiday season. But uh, we'll we'll see you then. Don't lose your head. 